You must remain calm. We are in a surreal moment where one of the league's top players, not just top quarterbacks, top players, Andrew Luck, suddenly retires. And I have to throw the entire show sheet for this monologue in the trash can because I plan to talk about fun stuff today. I wanted to talk about Baker Mayfield. Who doesn't want to talk about Baker Mayfield? Because I saw across every sports media channel, Baker Mayfield called Daniel Jones a loser, right? Except he didn't actually call Daniel Jones a loser. He simply believes winning is important at every level of football, and Daniel Jones went 17 and 19 at Duke. That's just a fact. But if you're running a website that needs clicks, need to bait the hook for those clicks, don't let the truth stand in the way of you mischaracterizing the words of one of the few honest professional athletes who actually says what's on his mind. Baker Mayfield is learning very quickly that we can't be trusted with his honesty, that his words will be twisted for clicks. He was not talking specifically about Daniel Jones. He was providing general commentary on the evaluation of the quarterback position. But we can't talk about Baker Mayfield today. We need to talk about Andrew Luck because he hijacked the news stream. And if I don't talk about Andrew Luck on this show, you would rightfully be disappointed. You come to this program for timely advice about your fantasy team, first and foremost, and everything else is just a bonus. I understand that. That's why I am here to deliver. Also, there are hundreds of other NFL analysts that rushed to the defense of Baker Mayfield. And you may notice many of them did not rush to the defense of Cam Newton when Cam Newton was criticized for dancing too hard in the end zone. Remember that? Do you remember the letter written to the Charlotte Observer by a horrified mom? Cam Newton setting a bad example? He's just too masculine. Made her uncomfortable. Willing to bet it was more the blackness than the masculinity that caused her discomfort. But there's no shortage of fans buzzing around Baker Mayfield, just waiting to give him an attaboy. And even though he knows the media and NFL fans cannot be trusted with his honesty, he is remaining steadfast, refusing to become a robot quarterback. Like every other quarterback in the league, just stand up in front of the podium and say a whole bunch of nothing. Like Andrew Luck. Yeah, well, you know, I tried to work hard and uh, put the ball in the right place. Lot of guys make some plays. Got to make sure I find Jack Doyle. Andrew Luck was never comfortable in front of that podium. What makes Baker Mayfield a true leader? One beyond reproach. He can call another quarterback a loser, according to a mischaracterized headline, without consequence, because he is a charisma-driven leader. He's the most charismatic player in the NFL. And Andrew Luck just happened to be one of the least charismatic. And that was one of the reasons why the pressure built. And without that charisma, Andrew Luck was not able to deflect the criticism and pressure the franchise quarterback is under every waking moment. You could even trample sportsmanship if you were to believe the fabricated headline in the New York Post. If you have that it factor in front of the podium. The charisma. And Baker Mayfield is more than just a leader. He is a magician. He can trample sportsmanship, and it won't matter. Veteran analysts across the sports media landscape just closing ranks around Baker Mayfield. Why? Because he cited QB wins. You can see the former athletes in empty suits, sitting up straight in front of those cameras, running that calculus in their head. He called a fellow competitor a loser, if you believe that headline, 
but he believes quarterback wins are the key. Winning is all that matters. And boy, oh boy, does he seem like a cool guy to hang out with. Did you see him shotgun that beer in the stands with one hand? Wow. We have a new face of the NFL. He's saying all the right things when he's not belittling his opponents. You haven't done anything until you've won a championship. Oh, that's what I want to hear. You're my guy, Baker. You can call anybody a loser as long as you cite QB wins. And I can talk about whatever I want to talk about on this show. As long as I talk about the players that are moving the needle on our rankings on the World Famous Draft Kits cheat sheet. Check it out, fantasy-draftkit.com. You can see where we have T.Y. Hilton, Marlon Mack, Devin Funches, Paris Campbell, Eric Enron. That's right, I call him Eric Enron. Because that stock is going to zero without Andrew Luck. And maybe you already have the player rankings. Well, that's okay. We have the seasonal ranks up. And maybe you want our data analysis tools as well, as you should. Well, the beauty is, when you sign up for the all-in package, it's just an additional $45. You get free entry in a $35 best ball league at the FFPC and a $35 dynasty voucher to join a dynasty startup at the FFPC. That's $70 of FFPC bucks if you reach that all-in level on playerprofiler.com. And when you sign up at that all-in level, just email podfather at rotounderworld.com to redeem those vouchers. You have to email me by the end of the day, this Tuesday, August 27th, to qualify. And thinking about Andrew Luck's retirement, it's not so sudden, and it's not so surprising. He has spent the vast majority of his time, the last three years, in pain, rehabbing injuries. And there is one person above all others who is to blame for Andrew Luck's pain. His name is Ryan Grigson. Grigson gonna Grigson. That's what we said when Ryan Grigson did the unthinkable, drafting a redundant asset in Philip Dorsett, a mid-level prospect with a low college dominator rating. The breakout finder did not identify Philip Dorsett as a likely breakout. Yet Grigson selected him in the first round over quality offensive linemen that could have kept Andrew Luck upright, healthy, and on the field. Few players experienced more trauma, more vicious hits on the football field during their first few years in the league than Andrew Luck. And he did that with the weight of a franchise on his shoulders. A city! What else does Indianapolis have besides the Colts? Oh, they've got a racetrack. Okay. The expectation of a community, of a state, resting on his broken body. And in the end, it was an emotional collapse that caused his retirement. He was mentally broken more than physically broken when he strode to that podium and announced his retirement to the world. And he said as much. I'm retiring so I can finally feel some mental and emotional relief. Relief from the absurd pressure of an entitled fan base, an intrusive media, and coercive team management. Every day asking, when will you be ready? 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 We need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. When will you be ready? We need you. When will you be ready? We need you. When will you be ready? We need you. Shut the fuck up! I'm broken. I'm in pain. Please allow me to rehabilitate my body. Let me heal. And when I am 100%, then I will let you know that I am ready to go back into the Coliseum for another round of blood sport. 
But until then, leave me in peace. Otherwise, I'm just not coming back because of you people that don't appreciate what we do. Modern day gladiators. Most NFL fans don't deserve NFL athletes. And Andrew Luck realized that the moment the booze began and he took himself out of play and good for him. What's next? What's next for Andrew Luck is a peaceful rehabilitation away from the monsters that are sports fans and sports media, NFL coaches, NFL doctors, NFL front office executives. Maybe then eventually he can become 100% healthy. He can be pain free. And at that point, I believe Andrew Luck is coming back because Andrew Luck throughout his career has been obsessed with the sport of football. Until recently, the guy had a flip phone because all he needed was the tablet with the plays on it. He didn't need social media. He didn't need the internet. He just needed to watch the film, figure out where Jack Doyle was and deliver the football. That's it. And that guy cannot stay retired. The boredom and the competition void will make retirement unbearable for one of for one of the NFL's true football junkies. So I believe Andrew Luck is coming back. He's coming back as soon as week seven. The Colts have a bye week six. It's plausible that Andrew Luck is back by midseason. So if you have Andrew Luck in Dynasty, you cannot drop him. And we cannot assume that he's going to be out the whole season. Because this is the new move. Just retire while you rehabilitate. Maybe extend it a year. Take a year to get healthy, remain away from the sport for an additional year. Maybe Andrew Luck comes back for 2021. He'll still be in his prime. He has 10 years left if he wants to keep playing football. You might say, well, Andrew Luck, he suffered so many injuries early in his career. No way he plays out to age 40. Well, look no further than Ben Roethlisberger because Ben Roethlisberger suffered a litany of injuries in his late 20s. He was that big mobile quarterback that defenders could not bring down. And he punctured a lung and tore up his knee and dislocated his shoulder. And, and he's leading the league in pass attempts at 37 years old. So a lot of time left for Andrew Luck to come back, pick up right where he left off at the peak of his powers. But what about the Colts this season? Well, the forecast for T.Y. Hilton is not as grim as the fantasy consensus wants you to believe. Remember what happened when Deshaun Watson went out and Tom Savage came in? For the Houston Texans? What happened to DeAndre Hopkins' production? Oh, that's right. It didn't waver, did it? Fantasy points remained the same. Why? The efficiency collapsed and the target share went up. If you have a true alpha in the passing game, their target share goes up when the backup quarterback enters the game because the backup quarterback does not go through the read progressions so quickly, more often locking in on the number one option. And that's always T.Y. Hilton. They might drop some plays for Paris Campbell. Otherwise, it's going to be T.Y. Hilton, your first option. That means T.Y. Hilton's going to be fed. Whether it's Locke, whether it's Brissett, he's going to be fed. What do we care about most for wide receivers? Targets! So the idea that T.Y. Hilton's production will precipitously drop going from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett is a fallacy. We have him dropping 20 spots on our world-famous draft kit extreme cheat sheet. Check it out, fantasy-draftkit.com. And the beauty is, the folks at FanDuel are making it free. That's right, fantasy-draftkit.com. Click to order, scroll down, and you can see the option to get it for free. Don't ask me how FanDuel does it, just enjoy it. Now, what about Marlon Mack? Well, we have Marlon Mack 
moving down the same number of slots as T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, wait, 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 what? But T.Y. Hilton's in the passing game. He's more affected by this retirement. No, that's not true. The increased target share will offset the lesser efficiency to a degree. Marlon Mack will be afforded less carries in the Jacoby Brissett offense than the Andrew Luck offense and significantly fewer red zone touches. That was the main driver of Marlon Mack's upside. Leading the league in touchdowns was in Marlon Mack's range of outcomes. With Jacoby Brissett under center, that upside's vaporized, wiped away. He becomes a stable RB2 as opposed to an upside RB1. Marlon Mack is an explosive runner between the tackles, and the Colts should have one of the league's best run-blocking offensive lines. But they will run less plays, and they will score less touchdowns. So you have to throttle back your Marlon Mack projection, moving him down proportionately with T.Y. Hilton. Still very attractive fantasy options, just not early third-round picks. Marlon Mack, you can get in the late fourth. T.Y. Hilton in the early fifth now. You can feel confident pushing the button on those players in those rounds. And you don't believe my real-time analysis? Okay. What if I bring in one of the best fantasy point projectors in the business? Fortunately, today we're talking to John Paulson on the show. The Andrew Luck news broke after the interview. And yet, even before the news broke that Andrew Luck was retiring, that Lamar Miller tore his ACL and MCL, John Paulson's arguments on the show were prescient. His bold prediction was about Duke Johnson before the injury, if you can imagine. So let's bring John back on to get his thoughts. So John, do you agree with me? Marlon Mack is now a late fourth rounder. T.Y. Hilton, an early fifth rounder. (sighs) Man, that's a tough one to imagine. Yeah. Now, Devin Funchess may go undrafted. Paris Campbell may go undrafted in seasonal leagues because the bottom 10 quarterbacks in the league typically only support one fantasy-relevant wide receiver. So this is awful news for Devin Funchess and awful news for Paris Campbell. For Devin Funchess, he went to Indianapolis to rebuild his brand. It was a one-year prove-it deal. So he feels betrayed. Funchess did not go to Indianapolis to rehabilitate his career with Jacoby Brissett. And Paris Campbell was an upside play in the context of the Andrew Luck offense. Now... He's just an upside stash in Dynasty. He goes from late first in rookie drafts to late second. A player with Paris Campbell's prospect profile, over 1,000 yards in his final season at Ohio State, one of the most athletic wide receivers we've seen the last five years. That guy is always worthy of a late second round pick, regardless of the offense he lands on. But he was always an upside play, and now that upside has been vaporized. You can't draft Eric Ebron now. Why would you ever draft Eric Enron at this point? I'd rather have Austin Hooper. And if Austin Hooper's gone, I'll just wait for my bridge to Herndon. Maybe if you wait long enough, you can get Eric Ebron in the final rounds, and then he's your bridge to Herndon. That's fine. But you can't pay a meaningful amount for Eric Ebron in fantasy drafts. All the ancillary receivers are bigger losers in this retirement than T.Y. Hilton. And that is counterintuitive because we can go to the splits. The splits are cartoonish. 15.5 PPR points with Andrew Luck, 11.3 without him. 80 receiving yards with Andrew Luck, 60 receiving yards without him. It's bad, but it's not that bad. 
it's not that bad because that one year without Andrew Luck was in 2017 when the Colts had one of the worst offensive lines in the sport. They now have one of the best. And Jacoby Brissett was 24 at the time. He's now 26. He's now a seasoned NFL veteran. Jacoby Brissett gets off the plane. They hand him the playbook and say, go start 16 games, kid. And oh, by the way, your offensive line can't block anybody. And some of your receivers will never be heard from again after this season. And Brissett performed better at the beginning of 2017 than he did in the second half when the entire offense crumbled around him. But what he did have were some 300-yard games and a handful of QB1 weeks, including a top-five week. That week, he had two rushing touchdowns. Because Jacoby Brissett is the type of quarterback we want in fantasy football. He's surrounded by above-average weaponry with a quality offensive line and mobility. 64 carries in 2017 was top five in the NFL. 15 red zone carries was top four. He had over 250 yards rushing. So Jacoby Brissett suddenly becomes the best value Konami code quarterback in all of fantasy football. And coming out of NC State, the reason Jacoby Brissett was the third round pick was because of his arm strength. 56 mile per hour throw velocity. And in 2017, his deep ball completion percentage was in the top 25. He throws a pretty deep ball. And now he has Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton on the outside. With time to throw, Andrew Luck's protection rate last season was top five in the NFL. So those splits from 2017 mean exactly nothing at this point. T.Y. Hilton will be a screaming value in the fifth round in the days ahead. You watch. And you don't have to take my word for it. John Paulson, do you agree? Well, yeah, that's what I said. It's the perfect time to buy. You buy off the dead cat bounce. You just watch T.Y. Hilton crater and you draft him. And you can stack him with Brissett. You can draft Brissett in the final round. Everything is consolidated now in Indianapolis. You want Brissett, you want the number one wide receiver, and you want their primary back. And that's it. Those are the only players you want. With your typical prolific offense with diverse weaponry, you want the second receiver, you want the third receiver, you want the tight end, you want the satellite back. With Brissett, those players are off the board. But you can be greedy when others are fearful in fantasy football by stockpiling Mack and Hilton and Brissett at value and ignoring the ancillary offensive players. Look at their schedule to start the season. Chargers, shootout, Titans, Atlanta, Oakland, Kansas City. You can see Jacoby Brissett posting above average starting quarterback numbers through the first five weeks. It's not a stretch. And those of you listening to our Dynasty show, the Sonic Truth podcast, you already have Jacoby Brissett in Superflex in two quarterback leagues because I told you he was the most underrated quarterback in all of Dynasty months ago, and you had to stash him now before he became a free agent next year. He was going to be mobile Nick Foles in 2020, and then Andrew Luck retired. The only thing standing in Jacoby Brissett's way now is Andrew Luck unretiring. And that is just not a stretch. And I can prove it because I've polled my audience. 60% of you believe he will stay retired, but 40% of you believe he will unretire. That's a huge number. The day the retirement is announced. And the best place to do a poll is pollsports.com. What? Yeah. You will start to see polls embedded in player profiler articles from Pole Sports very soon. 
And you might have a question like, who do I start? Who do I pick up? Who wins this trade? Now, I may not care about your fantasy team, but you can create polls with your specific league settings and get votes and advice from a community of credible fantasy players. And each member of that community is scored. The beauty of poll sports is every vote is not counted equally. The smarter people have more weight in the final results. That's the way it should be. When the podfather votes, it's the equivalent of 50 fantasy gamer votes. Because no one oozes credibility like the podfather. (sighs) And poll sports is free. There are no paywalls of any kind. Just post a poll and watch the votes and advice start to come in instantaneously. It's not just scoring, it's format. You can post a dynasty poll, seasonal poll, and you'll see the results in context. You can also search for existing polls just by typing in a player's name. I'm excited to use the pollsports.com widgets in our articles and take my advice. Go to pollsports.com today just to see what they're up to. And again, Jacoby Brissett has officially become the best value quarterback in fantasy drafts. Given his mobility and the weapons he has at his disposal. Just like it's not a stretch to imagine Duke Johnson finishing as a mid-level RB2 in fantasy. Why not? Why not Duke Johnson? He was better than Lamar Miller in every phase of football at Miami. He's over 205 pounds. He's a satellite back plus. He has just enough size to handle a 70% opportunity share. And he has the diverse skill set to run between the tackles, outside the tackles, and be a target magnet in the passing game. And he'll get slot snaps with Kiki QT out to start the season. You don't want Duke Johnson getting a 90% opportunity share in Houston. You don't want that. You want Houston to rotate in Demarie Crockett. And when they do, just slide Duke Johnson into the slot. It's beautiful. Crockett has a 105.0 80th percentile speed score and a 72nd percentile burst score. This is a man. Great size adjusted athleticism because he weighs 225 pounds. And he's young. He came out early. He's 21 years old. He wasn't a monster producer at Missouri because he was operating on a pass-first team while fighting through injuries. But in a vacuum, you want players that look like Demarie Crockett. His best comparable on-player profiler is Isaiah Crowell. Now we hope that Crockett doesn't command an Isaiah Crowell-level opportunity share in Houston, crowding out Duke Johnson's touches. We don't want that. We want a healthy number of carries between the tackles and between the 20s to keep Duke Johnson fresh. But more often than not, we want the Texans to feed Duke Johnson, and I believe they will. But you want both Johnson and Crockett on your fantasy team, and feel free to push the button on Duke Johnson as early as the fifth round. And you don't have to take my word for it. John Paulson agrees. Right, John? Yeah. I'm pretty annoyed that you brought that up. (laughs) He's still an upside play. And I'd rather have a Marlon Mack or a Sony Michelle in the fourth round because the Patriots are going to feed Sony Michelle. It's on. He's clearly 100% dominating training camp, and the Patriots want to get him more involved in the passing game. Ideally, the Patriots turn up the usage on both Michelle and Damian Harris and phase out James White. We know they're not going to do that. If anything, Damian Harris will get very few touches to start the season. Now, in week one, it could be a James White game. The Patriots could go down double digits to the Steelers, and game script will necessitate that it's a James White game. 
So Michelle could disappoint in week one, but then look at the schedule week two and beyond for the Patriots. Week two, Dolphins, then Jets, then Bills, Washington, New York Giants, Jets again. So six out of the first seven games are Sony Michelle games. And he's going in the fifth round? Fifth round? I'd rather have Sony Michelle than Marlon Mack. I'd rather have Sony Michelle than Duke Johnson. I'd rather have Sony Michelle than Josh Jacobs. I'd rather have Sony Michelle than David Montgomery. I'd rather have Sony Michelle than even Miles Sanders. Wait, wait, what? More than Miles Sanders? Oh, yeah. You look at that week one matchup, Patriots versus Steelers. Michelle and Connor look like similar players in a vacuum. And they could put up similar numbers this season. And with Jalen Samuels being more active in the passing game, and with Sonny Michelle also being more active in the passing game, you can see James Conner and Sonny Michelle putting up similar numbers by the end of the season. So I want Sonny Michelle in the fourth round. If you go wide receiver in the fourth round and Michelle's gone, go Marlon Mack, go Miles Sanders. And if both Sanders and Mack are gone in the fifth round, that's when you can push the button on Duke Johnson. And I was talking to my good friend Patrick Murphy today about the Patriots' schedule and about that Pittsburgh Steeler game in Week 1 because Patrick Murphy is significantly overweight on James Conner and on Sony Michelle. I wouldn't be talking about Sony Michelle and his schedule today if it were not for the wisdom of the fantasy football king, Patrick Murphy. And if there's a lot at stake in your fantasy league this year, if you're invested, if you really want to win, then you need to go to fantasyfootballking.com and sign up for a free consultation with Patrick. It costs exactly nothing to hear what he has to say. You can't sign up for a free consultation with me. I run playerprofiler.com. I host shows on Roto Underworld Radio. My time's too valuable. But I find time to talk to Patrick about the players he likes and his draft strategy. So he's an even better person to talk to about your fantasy team than I am. Fantasyfootballking.com. Fantasyfootballking.com. If you don't make the playoffs, you get your money back. I dare you to find a better offer than that. And I dare you to find a better fantasy production prognosticator than John Paulson from 444. As you've already heard, he is here with me today to talk about the players you want to hear about and lay out the optimal strategy for your fantasy drafts. Be sure to follow him at 444 underscore John on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, the director of forecasting at 4 for 4, a show favorite. He comes on every August to put me in my place, (laughs) to tell the truth about Jeff Janis. Always. It is John Paulson. Welcome to the program. Talk to me. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's good to be back. Uh, Are you feeling agreeable or contentious today? I'm feeling pretty agreeable. I'm feeling pretty chilled out. I'm not going to lie. Life has been good, John. The podfather life. The podfather life is going well, and I don't feel very contentious, partly because we've all come to terms with Jeff Janis and that he's now changing tires. It's his actual job. Is it? You didn't know that? No. I had lost track of him. He's changing tires. That's that's his job. He is Jeff Janis, tire and auto. He's got to be the fastest tire changer out there. He's going straight to NASCAR. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be a pit crew chief sooner rather than later. Like in a 20-yard sprint? Who's going to beat that guy? 
I mean, Jay's, who could beat him? Can you do that sound with your with your mouth? What I just did with the, with the, the you know the rivets. Yeah, that was good. The air gun. Can you can you can you do that? Who's that guy in uh, the police academy movies? Oh yes, yes. That was you. He did the the robot arms, right? Yeah, it's the same sound. Yeah, I repurpose manual mouth sound effects all the time. Busted, man. You're right back at it. It fits like a glove. You putting me in my place. It's a great feeling. Always. Every August. Let's do it. In fantasy drafts, how do you attack the board? Uh, well, I published my draft day strategy a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago or whatever. And what I determined this year, it really is year to year, whether or not the running back position feels deep to me or not, or receiver position feels deep to me or not. But um, I'm definitely trying to grab a stud tight end. I want one of those guys in the first two tiers, uh, mm. if possible. And I love the middle round uh, wide receivers, you know, fourth through eighth. Uh, there's a lot of value there. So um, I'm either taking one or two running backs in the first and third, uh, then looking at the wide receiver position. I might have to flip one of those to a running back if I, if I, if I go a wide receiver in the first or third. Kittle usually in the second, maybe Kelsey if he slips. Um Edelman in the fourth, Cooks, uh, those types of guys, Godwin in the fourth, and then just kind of hitting those uh, those wide receivers in the fifth, like Ridley and and those guys in the Curtis Samuel and those types of guys in the middle rounds. What about DJ Moore? You mentioned Curtis Samuel. I thought you were going to say DJ Moore. Is Curtis Samuel a real threat to DJ Moore's status as the number one receiver on Carolina? Well, he they they basically produced the same fantasy wise down the stretch last year. Um, so I, I, there's a non-zero chance that Samuel outscores more. I still have more ahead of him. Thank God. Uh, I still draft more ahead of him. Um, and, and Moore's value is taking a little bit of a hit because apparently you can't like two receivers on the same team. Unless it's Minnesota. You have to like one or the other. I guess, yeah, Minnesota, I guess those two established. Right. So Samuel and Moore not as established. Hence the value. Yeah. So I mean I like more as I like more as well. Um, but uh I think from a value standpoint, seventh, eighth round for Samuel, love it. You know the young field stretchers do the best in training camp. That's a commonality you see across wide receivers. The young, explosive downfield playmakers shine in training camp. You wanna know why? Because the defenders aren't playing at full speed. Because there's no one on the field to hold those players accountable. Because the whole reason they're out there is to make the quarterback look good for the beat reporters and for the handful of onlookers and when they go back and watch the tape in the meeting rooms. That's Curtis Samuel's purpose. But when the games actually start and all the defenders are playing at full speed, you're going to want DJ Moore as your number one option. You're going to want to look to him first and then Curtis Samuel second. Sick of this. I'm sick of this. Yeah, I thought you said you were I thought you said you were agreeable. I like Curtis Samuel. I like Curtis Samuel. How do I not like Curtis Samuel? He runs a 4-3-0. The guy can blaze. Who doesn't love splash plays? I fucking love splash plays and I love athleticism and I love Ohio State wide receivers. 
So, of course, I like Curtis Samuel. But DJ Moore is one of the best wide receiver prospects we've seen. The best since Amari Cooper. And that's just erased because Curtis Samuel is making plays against air every day in Carolina. Fuck out of here. It's like with Christian Kirk. Just going to erase Christian Kirk's entire resume, his entire body of work, stretching all the way back to his time at Texas A&M where he put up over 1,000 yards in his true freshman season sharing a field with Josh Reynolds. We're just going to cross that out because he only played 13 of 28 snaps with Kyler Murray in preseason. What the fuck are we talking about? Sorry, John, go ahead. Do you need me to send a, an ambulance over? What what is the ch- what are the chances that you have a heart attack on the podcast someday? 5%? 7? Does Christian Kirk qualify as one of those early mid-round wide receivers that you're targeting? Please say yes. Yes, I like him in the seventh still, despite the snap count. Yeah, I'm still very happy to get him there. You're not paying attention to the preseason snap count because probably Cliff Kingsbury doesn't want one of his best players hurt, and he probably wants a little bit of extra seasoning in preseason for his rookie quarterback. You think that might be the reason, not that Christian Kirk's been usurped on the depth chart by Trent Sherfield. Is that what I'm hearing, John? Yeah, the the snaps in a preseason preseason game do not matter to me as much as the constant drumbeat of positive news this summer. His play last year when he was on pace to finish as a fantasy wide receiver three with Josh Rosen throwing him the ball. He's getting a massive grade upgrade at quarterback with Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. He's being drafted wide receiver 32, so you're getting him really at his floor. Thank you. That was very good perspective. From John Paulson, the perspective that we needed. Now, the last couple of years, can you think of the lesson you learned that has resonated most and is carrying over for this season that you've gone out of your way to make sure that you're accounting for when you're drafting? Yes, for me, it's uh, an issue of drafting in May, June, and July um, against other degenerates in the best ball drafts and getting somebody like Curtis Samuel in the ninth round or someone like Christian Kirk in the eighth round and expecting them to be there in my August draft after I and everybody else have been tweeting about these players, writing about these players, talking about these players all of July, August, um, and expecting them to be available then, not wanting to pull the trigger on them in the seventh round or the sixth round um, because I'm hoping to get them later. Right. And then getting mad at myself for drafting somebody I don't like as much because I think I can get both of those players. Exactly. So, yeah. Get your guys. I was furious at myself in a recent expert draft when Evan Silva, in quotes, sniped me on Miles Sanders. But I only felt sniped because I was getting Sanders in the seventh round and pros versus Joes and the Scott Fishbowl and all these early drafts. But times have changed and opinions have changed. And a lot of people are listening to this particular podcast and have realized that Miles Sanders looks like a league winner. So I need to adjust my assumptions on where certain players, especially those with the quintessential league-winning profiles, will be going in late August. It's a great point. I would have felt a lot better about myself, especially going into my show with Evan Silva. I wouldn't have felt like the beta to start the show. (laughs) The bottom? Yes. I come off very confident on these shows, but sometimes I go into them feeling like a bottom. 
And then the struggle is throughout the show is how do I get on top? Are you totally comfortable with Miles Sanders in the fifth round? I was getting him in the seventh round. I now feel like I need to push the button on him in the sixth round. His, uh, his ADP in the, in the latest FFPC is 5'11". So. I'm not oblivious to this fact. I'm not wearing... I'm not wearing rose-colored sunglasses, but remember after the hamstring injury, he was going in the eighth round? Mm-hmm. Well, those days are over, and I still feel like it's my mission to get him drafted in the late fourth. We can band together, John, all of us that focus on the right details. We can band together and get Miles Sanders drafted in that fourth round. That'll be a feel-good moment for all of us because you know he's going to slay on a team like the Philadelphia Eagles that is set up to score a hell of a lot of points with one of the best offensive lines, both run blocking and pass blocking, with their quarterback, who was an MVP candidate not long ago, Finally, more than a year removed from a torn ACL, they've upgraded the weaponry significantly around him in the receiving core, adding Deshaun Jackson and having another year of development for Dallas Goddard, adding J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in the draft. I'm very excited about what this Philadelphia Eagles team can do. And if you're excited about the Philadelphia Eagles, then you necessarily have to be excited about Miles Sanders, correct? I would think so. How many touches do you think he'll see on a weekly basis? 15 to 20, 15 to 20 with a lot of explosive plays and red zone touches because he's going to get the ball at the 15 yard line at the 10 yard line. Sure. They may give it to Jordan Howard on the one yard line, but guess what? They're also going to learn pretty quickly that Jordan Howard's not even that effective on the goal line. Just because you're big doesn't mean you're an effective goal line back. I'd rather have Miles Sanders on the goal line personally because he can go up and over the pile or he can go around penetration. And Jordan Howard can't do either. I would argue that if you think he's going to get 15 to 20 touches, you should take him very very comfortable taking him in the fifth round. Roster construction wise, my problem is that's when I'm soaking up those wide receivers that we talked about. DJ Moore. But that's also why I love Christian Kirk, because Christian Kirk is one of those few early mid-round wide receivers that we love, like Chris Godwin, like DJ Moore, like Calvin Ridley. They're going to be gone by the end of the fifth round. So there's a big trade-off there if you go Miles Sanders, but not if you realize Christian Kirk is in that class. Then you can say, okay, I'll draft Miles Sanders in the fifth round, and then I'll let these other wide receivers go by knowing Christian Kirk will be there. And... And this speculation that his role may somehow be reduced can only help us help make sure we can get him in the sixth and seventh round. And that gives us the luxury of jumping up around and getting Miles Sanders. It's a trade-off, right? So do you, is Miles Sanders your guy? I always look for groups of players that I like at a certain position in each round. So I can count on, for example, Julian Edelman, Brandon Cooks, Chris Godwin, Robert Woods, all available in the fourth round. I can count on getting a wide receiver in the fourth round. Uh, so do continue to do that throughout the draft. My issue with Miles Sanders is I do I do want to draft him. Who are the other running backs that are going there in that at that five six turn? Uh, maybe Tevin Coleman's there. Okay, Tariq Cohen. Mm. I don't I don't feel comfortable about him. Mm. David Montgomery. Uh, he's going early. He's going four eight. 
So let him go. Let him go at four eight. I'll let David Montgomery go in the late fourth. I'll let Josh Jacobs go in the late third. Let him have him, John. Let him have him. I try to find that, those groups of players in each round to put together my draft plan. So that's how I do it. How about in the first round? Alvin Kamara could be <sighs> a belt. You don't like Alvin Kamara? No, no, no. I'm just the first round is always like try to find something bad to say about these guys. They're first rounders for a reason. But what if Alvin Kamara is the actual bell cow this year and Latavius Murray is just a handcuff? We know that Latavius Murray is actually more explosive than Mark Ingram, but most coaches in the NFL, they don't use playerprofiler.com. Like they don't have a subscription to 4 for 4. Well, I know some of them do, but the majority do not. So we can't assume that they know how much more explosive Murray is than Ingram. They may think of Latavius Murray as just this backup running back, and if he's just a handcuff, Close your eyes and imagine what Alvin Kamara could be with the backfield to himself. In fact, we don't need to imagine it. We saw it at the beginning of last year. And he was the best running back in fantasy football at the beginning of last year. So what am I missing? Well, you're not missing anything. 33.0 fantasy points per game in PPR formats the first four games. If he's Can you say that again? Can you say that again? 33 fantasy points per game. 33 fantasy points per game without Mark Ingram. If. Now he's going to spend the entire season without Mark Ingram. (laughs) Yeah, that logic doesn't track for me, though, because they signed Murray. They gave him the second most guaranteed money, more than Mark, Mark Ingram got, by the way. So I don't think they signed Murray to give him three to five touches a game and just have him come in to give Kamara a blow. I think he's going to take over that Ingram role. Kamara is going to be great in his touches. He's just not going to get the volume that you're asking for to be the number one overall running back. It's fun to think about, though. Yeah. It's fun to play make-believe, isn't it? We're getting out the costume closet, John, isn't it? We're just dressing up. I want to be an Alvin Kamara pirate. Searching for gold doubloons there, Shani. Love it. Now, once Kamara's off the board, I'm pushing the button on DeAndre Hopkins. I have him over David Johnson. I have him over Devontae Adams. Sorry to say that, but I do. I know you're a big Packers fan, Mm -hmm. especially in deeper PPR leagues. I love DeAndre Hopkins. What do you think of that? I think that's solid. I don't argue with anything really in that late first round. I mean, you can make a case for any of these guys to go six, seven, eight. Um, I'm struggling with that right now because my main event team picks eighth. So you're trying to figure out, do I want a Devontae Adams? Do I want a James Conner or Nick Chubb there? Nick Chubb is now squarely being drafted in the first round. That happened quick. He went from late second to late first in a flash. Yeah. And you agree with that? I agree with that. He was excellent down the stretch. He had a good 8-10 game run. Final 10 games last season, 19.5 touches, 97 yards total and uh, eight touchdown or 0.8 touchdowns per game uh, it was a number 10 per game average at his position the offense is going to be better um, Duke Johnson is gone so we saw a couple catches that he made in the preseason uh, one really athletic one I think the only concern is Kareem Hunt coming back but you know I think Chubb's going to eat the first uh, eight nine games and uh, going to have a stranglehold on that backfield you just have to sort of plan and be ready for, for Hunt to come in and maybe get five to seven touches uh, those first few games back. 
what if Nick Chubb hadn't torn his ACL at the college level and was drafted a year earlier and he didn't share a draft class with Saquon Barkley, right? Because when you're the second best running back in a class, it's not the same as being the best running back in the class. And he's been in the shadow of Saquon Barkley the last couple of years. But if you imagine what life would be like, what our perception of Nick Chubb would be had he not got hurt at the college level, because he's now back, he's 100%. And Nick Chubb was viewed as the generational talent that we now think of Saquon Barkley as. But in fantasy football, we don't think of Chubb as that guy because he's not a strong pass catcher. But now there's no more Duke Johnson. And we saw once upon a time, Carlos Hyde finished top five in the NFL in targets. So you could take a between-the-tackles grinder with good but not great hands and call enough screen plays to get him volume in the passing game. And if the team is going to be one of the highest-scoring teams in the NFL, he'll be awarded copious red zone touches either way. And that's really what you want, right? The case for James Conner is he's the featured back on the Steelers. Well, now the Browns are better than the Steelers. They're probably going to score more points than the Steelers. And if you like James Conner, you're going to love Nick Chubb, right? Yeah, I think so. And you look at what Chubb did down the stretch. I mentioned the touches. He got 17 catches in uh, his final seven games. So even with Duke Johnson there, he was that was like a 39-catch pace over a full 16-game season. Even with Johnson there, Duke Johnson there. So there's sneaky 45, 50-catch pace upside for the first 10 weeks or the first however long haunts out this is also why we hoard players on the most prolific offenses because of course you're going to get more targets if you're on one of the highest scoring teams that's running a lot of plays and passing the ball a lot it just makes sense that even if you're not the most electric pass catcher if you're operating in that offense you're going to get targets you're going to soak up 50 receptions even if it isn't always pretty. And let's not forget, he had three carries for 105 yards, two touchdowns in 3% of the snaps. He had three snaps against Oakland week four. It's a pretty good game. <laughs> That's what a generational talent does. But again, this is a generational talent in the shadow of a generational talent. That was a good turn of a phrase there. Oakland's not on the schedule this year either. Now, David Johnson may be available to you with the eighth overall pick because this Cardinals mm-hmm. offense has been flopping in preseason. Suddenly, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. All those concerns about David Johnson being trapped on an ineffective offense behind a poor run-blocking offensive line have resurfaced. If he were there, would you push the button confidently? Uh, I'd have to talk to my co-owner. Confidently is tough. That's the whole the whole eighth pick thing is giving me a headache, just even thinking about it and talking about it with you. However, I'm not worried about the Cardinals in general. A few series, a few bad series doesn't bother me. If it was, you know, back-to-back games where they can't move the ball and they're all, you know, they're all out there for four quarters and the games actually count. So the offense is like interested in like showing the whole playbook and doing their most productive things, then I would start to worry, but I don't think a couple series here and there. I mean, we've had we've had great offenses even in the regular season that struggle for two or three series and then make adjustments and, and turn things around, especially after halftime, uh, and really come out and score points later on in the, in the game. 
Right. There are no adjustments in preseason because they're out of there after one or two series. So what are we even talking about? I mean, it's the smallest sample size of the smallest sample sizes. Thank you Yeah. for not overthinking preseason performances. If you're James Washington and you're not getting any snaps with the first team, that matters. If you're Darwin Thompson and you're hurdling a guy for a big play with the second unit, that hurdle isn't going to suddenly make you better than Damian Williams. How do you feel about this Darwin Thompson nonsense? <laughs> I was sort of waiting for you to ask about Darwin Thompson because I heard your... Oh, my God. I heard a video, one of your takes on it. I think it's on the player profiler. It's maddening because it happens every year with these mountain whack running backs that weren't even a bell cow at the college level against sub-average competition go out and run a 4-6 and then one play and they jump up 10 rounds in fantasy football. Yeah, he trucked a guy on a on a catch right for a touchdown. Wow. <laughs> I think it's relevant regarding who's the backup there. So Carlos Hyde's kind of fading, right? And looks like Darwin Thompson's probably going to be the RB2. Been fading for a while. Daryl Williams is also there, though. Daryl Williams is technically still ahead of Darwin Thompson on their official depth chart. I just need to see it. One of the reasons why Darwin Thompson's getting a lot of snaps in preseason is because they're not familiar with Darwin Thompson. They know what they have in Damian Williams. They know what they have in Carlos Hyde. They even know what they have in Daryl Williams. They don't know what they have in Darwin Thompson. So this is a window into what Darwin Thompson is. And it's great to see him perform well, but all these snaps do not necessarily indicate that the team loves the player. It's that the player is new and they just want to see what he is. I would agree with that. I'm I'm still all over Damian Williams. I thank you. If I can get him in the th- third round or even at the two three turn, I will I will definitely take it. I mean, nineteen point four touches. You taking him over Karrion Johnson? Yes. Ooh, yeah, that was a confident yes. How about over Marlon Mack? Yes. Another confident yes. Yeah, half PPR, PPR, yes. I would take Mac probably in standard over Damian Williams. But uh, his receiving ability uh, puts it above uh, Marlon Mack, I think. What if I told you that Marlon Mack is a good receiver and that he suffered a shoulder injury last year and he actually wore a sling in games and that partially explains why he wasn't awarded more targets? He did get some uh, extra routes towards the end of the year, which might be an indicator. Uh, I worry a little bit about Andrew Luck, though. I'm not worried at all about this Kansas City offense. That's why I think I favor Williams over Mac. And that's the way to go. You want to minimize risk in the early rounds. That's what you're going to do with the eighth overall pick in the FFPC main event. That's what you're going to do in the second round. That's what you're going to do in the third round. You know, Look for the downside risk. And if it starts to stack up, you just avoid that player. And you don't run out to best case scenario. There's some interesting trends with Marlon Mack's usage, especially on third down and with the routes run at the end of last season and in preseason. There's just a handful of data points in preseason specifically around usage that are actionable. And I believe that Marlon Mack's route running in preseason and presence in the third down package is actionable. It suggests that we may see South Florida Marlon Mack, which was an all-purpose monster at the college level, 
this season in Indianapolis as he feels healthier than he's ever felt at the professional level. And you see that with a lot of players in the NFL. It takes a couple years for their bodies to become hardened to the NFL experience. They become veterans. And that's what we're seeing with Marlon Mack before our eyes. As a rookie, 21 catches, 225 yards for Marlon Mack, 2017. And that supports, because he was playing, he was a part-time player, 93 carries that year. Uh, that supports your theory. He was playing the satellite back role to Frank Gore's grinder role that season. And then a year goes by, he hurts his shoulder, and suddenly he doesn't know how to catch. Right. That is so fantasy football, how that plays out. Yeah, I'm thinking 35-plus catches for him. So that helps a lot. Nick Chubb, Marlon Mack. Don't be surprised when Nick Chubb and Marlon Mack exceed expectations in the receptions department. You're just not allowed to be surprised. Just like you're not allowed to be surprised when Royce Freeman outscores Philip Lindsay in fantasy football, right? Well, what are we talking about here? What scoring system are we talking about? This matters. All scoring systems, even PPR. No, I don't think so. I think we still have uh, Lindsay and a lead role. I think the carries are a lot closer. Um, there is a, there is certainly <clears throat> if uh, Freeman is getting goal line, all the goal line work, then he could certainly outscore Lindsay. But I think this is more of a timeshare 55, 45, 60, 40 type of a type of a deal. I think Freeman's going to have a Marlon Mack like season. He'll be this year's Marlon Mack, except he won't be on the Colts. He'll be on the Denver Broncos. And that's really what's going to hold him back. It's not going to be so much Philip Lindsay. Because Royce Freeman, like Marlon Mack, was hurt last year. He played through a high ankle sprain. And that can explain away some of the lost touches to Philip Lindsay. It's not like any NFL coach comes into the building with the game plan, feed my 190-pound satellite back 25 carries. Like, no offensive coordinator with a working brain would have that strategy unless it was all they had. Unless their primary guy, their workhorse, was not at 100%. That's the theory. The reports out of camp say the carries are going to be a lot closer. And then you got to go look at the preseason snaps, Matt. Did you see the preseason snaps for these guys? Talk to me about the preseason snaps, John. I can't wait to hear about the preseason snap breakdown. Well, I thought you'd, I thought you'd have them uh, memorized. But uh, Lindsay was in, I think it was seven snaps to uh, Freeman's four. So I thought you would appreciate that. Seven to four? I think that's going to be the split, right? Oh, seven to four. Just based on the seven to four. Almost twice as many snaps. Oh, that breakdown would be very, very bad for Royce Freeman. Oh, no. Oh, looks like we're going to have to flip those projections, John. I don't have a strong feeling on that. I'm not ending up with much Lindsay. I liked him a lot last year, though. He was a nice pickup. Nice pickup. He was a league winning pickup for some people. Helped you get the wins to get in the playoffs and then let Damian Williams take care of the rest. Oh, yes. Now, what about Rashad Penny? Do you think Royce Freeman can outscore that guy? Because I think Freeman's just a better player. Probably, yeah. I mean, Penny's kind of fading. He's a bust, John. Just say it. He's a bust. I'm I'm not going to go that far. He might be listening. Oh, come on! You can't say Rashad Penny's a bust yet. Not yet. It's year, what, year two? Um, Maybe he's injured. We'll talk to you next year. All right. We'll ask you the question next year, but he's a bust. Justice Hill. Evan Silva believes he can outscore Mark Ingram. What do you think? Uh, I don't think so if Ingram stays healthy. I think, obviously, if there's 
uh, a couple games, three games missed or something for Ingram, then you start to get into that scenario. But I think they, the amount of money that they threw at, at Ingram, um, he's going to be the lead back there. I think Justice Hill will have a role. Uh, and I know the, the hype is strong with him, and that's good. It's very strong. But he's also a rookie. And like we said, it takes rookies time to acclimate to the NFL level. Their name's not Saquon Barkley. I just think with this backfield, they're going to run so much. Ingram's going to score a lot of points, especially early. And then we'll see. I mean, if the injuries pop up or if he's if he's sub four yards per carry, they may, you know, even out the backfield a little bit. I mean, Gus Edwards is still there as well, and he wasn't bad last year. Kenneth Dixon, is he going to end up with the Bucks or something? Kenneth Dixon's about to be cut. He's a good player. And he may land on a team that needs a running back. And if he does, you need to pay attention. Yeah. Let's talk about a stacked backfield here with these four. So, Well, it's a great place to be a running back. Definitely. The Ravens have one of the best run games in the NFL. I mean, you want to be running behind an efficient run-blocking unit with a Konami quarterback handing you the ball, freezing those linebackers, with Marshall Yanda up front mauling opposing defensive tackles. That's how you could average over five yards of carry in the NFL is be in that particular offense. So Mark Ingram did himself a lot of favors going to that particular offense. He could have gone to a lot of places. Maybe they offered him more money elsewhere, but he went to the right place to maximize his production. Now, and the Justice Hill hype is causing Ingram's ADP to fall. Mm. So he's going 5-1 now. Mm, that's right. How do you feel about that? The law of the conservation of backfield ADPs suggests if Justice Hill becomes overdrafted, then Mark Ingram is necessarily underdrafted. It's not bad. I just want running backs on prolific offenses or getting wide running lanes. It's one of the reasons why I'm not drafting Tevin Coleman. Because I'm not so sure the 49ers have either. I know they don't have a good run-blocking offensive line, and it's starting to look like Jimmy Garoppolo is not the prince that was chosen. So if Jimmy Garoppolo is just a Jimmy, just a guy, just a Jimmy off the street, not this big, swinging, swag-tastic quarterback, if he's just another quarterback and they can't open up wide running lanes, then Tevin Coleman is going to flop in San Francisco. But... Mark Ingram is in a position where it's impossible to fail in that particular system if you're a running back. I would agree with that. I like I like Ingram, and I think the, the hate directed towards him just because he's, what, 29? He's 29, and he's a plotter. He's got another year. But he's been a plotter in the right offense. He was on the right offense in New Orleans with the best screen game quarterback in the league and one of the best run-blocking units, especially while Max Unger was there. Now he can go to a team and take advantage of the Alfred Morris corollary with the mobile quarterback, and the great run-blocking offensive line. Just a great business decision. Mark Ingram, great businessman. He's got smart uh, smart agents, whoever's giving him good advice. But for Garoppolo, how do you think he's played when he's been the quarterback for the, for the 49ers? What are your thoughts? I haven't seen enough of Garoppolo. I want to see a little bit more. He has yet to play a full season's worth of games in the NFL. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine running out to best-case scenario on a player after a single season. No one would do that. But when you piece together four games here and three games there and five games there, suddenly that's enough to come to a definitive conclusion that Jimmy Garoppolo is great, 
that the 49ers stole him from the New England Patriots. But it's possible that the New England Patriots knew a little bit more about Garoppolo's ceiling than the rest of the league when they traded him to the 49ers. Do you think it's possible that Garoppolo just isn't good? It's possible. Uh, He had five straight interceptions in practice. Let me throw a stat at you and tell me if it matters. He started eight games for the 49ers. He has averaged at least 7.9 yards per attempt in each of those eight games. Does that matter? He's a downfield thrower. He's prolific. Don't we love gunslingers in fantasy football? Isn't that what we want? Wasn't Jeff George technically a good fantasy quarterback? <laughs> Jeff George? <laughs> yeah, I was, th- I was actually thinking Brett Favre, but yeah. Don't we want Jameis Winston in fantasy football? How many articles need to be written about Jameis Winston, the sleeper? <laughs> right? Is anyone worried about his touchdown-interception ratio? No. From a real football standpoint, Jimmy Garoppolo may be a problem. Yeah. He may inhibit them from taking the next step as a franchise and making the playoffs. But from fantasy football standpoint, the big problem with Jimmy Garoppolo is the supporting cast. He doesn't have a true alpha in the passing game. If he had a true alpha in the passing game that wasn't a tight end. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for you to make that qualification. <laughs> I would be a little bit more excited, right? Carson Wentz is a gunslinger, but he has Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard, and now Miles Sanders, and even Nelson Aguilar, you could argue, is an adequate slot receiver when called upon. Barely. Barely. And now he has J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. It's just an embarrassment of receiver riches in Philadelphia. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have that, man. Who is the number one receiver in San Francisco? Do you even know who it is? You're comparing the most loaded receiving core in the league to Jimmy Garoppolo's receiving core. It's a rhetorical trick, John. Yeah, it's a straw man argument, right? I wouldn't call it a straw man argument, but it is an unfair comparison. And I think you're right to point that out. (laughs) I got to call you on it. Now, I'm very good at arguing, but those that have their radar up into sense when I am using these rhetorical tricks, someone savvy like you, that's why we have you on the show. I don't want some newbie fantasy analyst that I could just bulldoze on every question. Think I want that? I think the audience wants that? No, they want someone to hold me accountable. And that's John Paulson. What do you make of Pettis? I think that Pettis is getting all the first team snaps, and that's what matters. Pettis was also productive last season with a backup quarterback as a rookie. So we give rookies extra credit when they're productive because they're doing it with very little experience and not having been hardened and acclimated to the NFL. Now Dante Pettis has had that opportunity, and he should naturally take a step forward. The only issue I have longer term with Dante Pettis is he's not a true alpha. He's a complimentary receiver. He has a low ceiling season to season. And if you had to find a guy on that team that looks the part of an alpha that could step up and be that guy, and you could have a real explosive one-two punch between Kittle and someone else, it would be Debo Samuel. So I'm hoping Debo becomes that guy this year. If he does, it's going to be great for Garoppolo. It's going to be great for the 49ers. If he doesn't, and Garoppolo has to make do with Dante Pettis playing out of position as the primary option in the wide receiver core, and then heavy snaps from Marquise Goodwin, I just don't think that's what you want. That's not optimal, but that's just the hand they're dealt because they started with nothing last year in the receiving core. And they drafted a couple. They drafted Samuel and Jalen Hurd. I think Samuel was good. I think it was a great draft pick. 
Yeah, he was projected to start immediately by the beat writers, but that really hasn't. He's been rotating in. So it's a very unsettled uh, receiving core. Pettis and Goodwin have hogged all the snaps with Jimmy Garoppolo in preseason. So as of now, Samuel is on the outside looking in, but I just think that's a matter of time before he gets in there. With Samuel, it could be an Odell Beckham situation where come week four, he's the full-time starter. I hope. I hope. I pray. We want that. He's very. He's available very late. Yeah, he's available very late, and there are very few rookie wide receivers that you can tell yourself a positive story about. There's two. He just happens to be one of them. They are all flaming out all around us. It's like the Amazon rainforest. It's just on fire. All these rookie wide receivers burning themselves to the ground. You know, I, I talk. I go on fantasy football podcasts to not think about the rainforest burning, so I'm pretty annoyed that you brought that up. I'll make it up to you. But I, I find it interesting that the preseason snaps matter for Pettis, but not for not in the other situation with Kirk. Are you saying that if Pettis were getting Christian Kirk's snap share with Jimmy Garoppolo, that it would be cause for concern? That there's a double standard? Well, you're saying that Pettis is playing with the ones, or is playing with Garoppolo, so he's you're not worried about him. Oh, I'm not drafting him. It's unfortunate for Debo Samuel. That was my point. I got gotcha. you. I am not aggressively targeting Dante Pettis. I don't put him in that class of early mid-round wide receivers that I'm enthusiastic about. And if I go ahead and draft a Miles Sanders, I would not consider Dante Pettis a consolation prize in the mid-rounds at all. I think he's a complimentary possession receiver, has a low ceiling, and I want more from my wide receivers in those rounds. For example, I'd rather have a Marquez Valdez-Scantling because at least MVS has a higher ceiling. Maybe he doesn't play the same snap share, you know, less targets, but he's playing with a better quarterback and he has much better downfield playmaking capability. And that to me is more exciting than a guy like Dante Pettis. And they're both going in the ninth round. So that's why I I wanted to follow up with Pettis. Now his ADP dropping. What about the ninth round for him? I just can't get on board with anyone in this 49ers passing game. The whole thing is terrifying to me. I think that Kyle Shanahan knows that he has one of the weakest wide receiver cores in the league, and he's going to design plays to get the ball in the hands of his tight end and his running backs. It's the reason why, if you're going to draft anyone in this offense, it's George Kittle and it's Matt Breida. It's Matt Breida because he's more elusive than Tevin Coleman, and you get him the ball in space, and he helps to nullify the weak offensive line. And with George Kittle, he's just head and shoulders above everyone else in that passing game. He's a much better playmaker, and he has a lot more experience than a guy like Devo Samuel. So there is a real argument to draft George Kittle in the second round, and it's taken me months to come around on that because I despise the early round tight end. I remember those years. I remember all those articles, hundreds of articles, why you need Rob Gronkowski in the first round, and it was never a good idea. And now you see Travis Kelsey in the first and George Kittle in the second, and a shiver runs down my spine, John. But I'm on board. I'm now on board. Kelsey, come on in. George Kittle, push the button, baby. I've always loved the early early round tight end. It was it was Antonio Gates in the third for me for so many years. I have so much George Kittle this year that I'm I'm legitimate, legitimately scared for his health. Just don't worry about Pettis. Don't worry about Goodwin. It's all about. George Kittle. He's going to be a one-man passing game. Him and Jimmy Garoppolo. It's going to be either a touchdown to Kittle or an interception. 
7.9 yards per attempt. Now, what about Matt Breida, though? Who would you rather have, Breida or Jalen Samuels, when you look at these Swiss Army backs? Breida, 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 yeah. I, 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 I think the Samuels stuff's a little bit overblown. I think Connor um, is a three-down back. Um, mm. And it's – I just don't see – I'm just not seeing a lot of receptions for him. I think Breida, with McKinnon shelved, this oh. is a lot about – a lot of this is about his knee because that's going to affect Breida's snaps. It's a big deal. I like Breida, though. He's good. Yeah, Tevin Coleman had plenty of opportunities with Devontae Freeman out to seize the alpha back role in Atlanta. And I don't remember him ever doing that, John. Am I forgetting something? Do I have some sort of Tevin Coleman amnesia? Was he the featured back? Was he slaying as a true bell count Atlanta at any point, John? Slaying? Can you fill in these missing parts of my memory? I don't know if he was, I don't I wouldn't say he was slaying, but he I mean, I've got a little splits tool that we built. Actually, I haven't built it. I designed it. But Kevin Zaluko, who's a MIT PhD grad, who's our data scientist at uh, 444. I'm just buying time here as I try to pull this up for you. This is a classic fantasy filibuster. <laughs> uh, built this wonderful sp- splits tool, and it's loading right now. So give me a few more seconds. 44 games that Coleman played. He's got stats from 28 games with Devonta Freeman in the lineup. And the other 16 games, no Devonta Freeman in the lineup. This is over the last three years. He's not slayed. 11.9 rush attempts, 56 yards, um, 0.38 touchdowns, 1.9 receptions. Is that without Devonta Freeman? That's without. That's without Devonta Freeman. And now he's going to San Francisco and he's going to be the primary back, and render Matt Breida obsolete. That's what the ADP is suggesting. You asked me earlier, Tevin Coleman in the fifth round. Tevin Coleman in the fifth round? No way! I'd much rather have Miles Sanders. Oh, yeah. Well, 12.3 fantasy points, half PPR in those games. It's a pretty good sample, too. 16 games. Sorry, I just just nodded off. What did you say? (laughs) Fantasy RB2 numbers. It's not exciting. It's just not exciting. Why? Why? I used to be the biggest Tevin Coleman fan. My Tevin Coleman rant, yeah, but Tevin Coleman, launched this show. But I've seen enough to know that he's just not elusive. He needs runway to be effective. And he's not going to get that runway in San Francisco. Everyone knows that San Francisco's airport has a notoriously short runway. To be a good pilot, to fly to San Francisco. And Tevin Coleman ain't it. Well, I think Kyle Shanahan's excited about him, if you're not. So, there's that. He should be excited about Matt Breida. Yeah. I'm excited about Matt Breida. He's so excited about Matt Breida that he signed Jarek McKinnon and Tevin Coleman last year. Yeah, he didn't know what he had in Matt Breida when he signed Jarek McKinnon. I know, that's not fair. And this Tevin Coleman signing was just a value bet. The fact that you could get Tevin Coleman for... $5 million a year was an embarrassment. Adam Gaze saw that contract and he said, why the hell did we sign Le'Veon Bell when we could have had Tevin Coleman at value? And the answer is no one has any idea how the 49ers got Tevin Coleman so cheap. They got him for the price of a backup running back, which is pretty much what he is. He's a backup plus. He's a guy that can handle the 40% share of a committee and be just fine. Ask him to do more than that and he's going to struggle. Even though he's bigger than Matt Breida, I think Breida can carry a more robust workload because 
he can win in more situations. When the offensive line is struggling, he can find ways to create yards on his own in ways that Tevin Coleman simply can't. I like coming on your show because I can get up in the middle of one of your answers, get a glass of water, and come back, and you're still talking. I think that's this is, that's very underrated. It is. Part of your show. And yet you're still filibustering at times. <laughs> well, I had to because I had to pull up the tool. But um, do you think Coleman or Brita have, has more touches at the end of the year? I think that Tevin Coleman's going to have more touches in the first half, and that they're going to turn to Breida in the second half. Interesting. That's what's going to happen. So Breida's like the ultimate zero RB for you then? Oh, he is. He's the guy. He's the guy. Okay. He is the guy. Matt Breida is the guy. And the presence of Tevin Coleman and the fact that Breida's only 200 pounds is what makes him so available. It's the same thing with Justice Hill that I asked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Justice Hill's only 200 pounds, but he and Matt Breida are very similar players in that they have that Reggie Bush quality. They're very explosive, but they have a bit more durability. You saw Justice Hill shoulder the full workload at Oklahoma State, and he shut out Chris Carson. Chris Carson couldn't get on the field because of Justice Hill. And Matt Breida was a lead back every season at the college level and took over that backfield last year. So it is possible. It's a guy like Austin Eckler. Same thing. Austin Eckler was a workhorse at the college level. And I think that even though he's 200 pounds, I think that he can be the 60% share and a very productive member of that Chargers backfield. Less than Melvin Gordon, but not so much less. Do you agree with that? I do. Uh, three games last year, 17, 18, 17 touches. Didn't run the ball particularly well, but if you go back to the previous year when in the games where he saw, there's five games, I think, where he saw at least 10 carries. Um he averaged 84 total yards on 16.2 touches per game. Scores a lot of touchdowns. Those are low RB1 numbers. That's right. In those games. So if you expand that sample a little, you start to you start to see the good games. I just think he had a tough time running last year in that in those spots. It wasn't necessarily his fault. He's been a high yards per carry guy. And I think he's the he's the guy if uh, Gordon holds out, which I think he will. I think Gordon's going to do as little as possible to get his year of service. I don't think that the Chargers will want to pay him. I'm super pessimistic about him playing week one. I think he returns midseason, so, you know. So you're not drafting Melvin Gordon, then? You're staying completely away. He's my stay-away player this year. I, I have no shares of, of Melvin Gordon. and I, I, He's still going in the fourth round or something, so I don't, I don't want that on my team. I don't want missed a, a likelihood of eight, nine missed games from my RB2. It's brutal. I mean, Please no. So no. I'd rather I'd rather have the Eckler in the sixth, seventh. Um, that's where he's going now. And uh, even if Gordon comes back, which he will, and Eckler's going to turn into a little bit of a pumpkin because of that, he still posts uh, low end RB two numbers with Gordon in the lineup because he scores so many touchdowns for him. But I mean, you can't maybe count on that. But sixty eight total yards per game from Eckler in the eleven games with Gordon last year. Can I give you more evidence to support your? Melvin Gordon avoidance? Sure. Based on our injury forecasting system that we have developed and we have not yet rolled out on playerprofiler.com, it is still behind the scenes. The running back who is most susceptible to injury this season is actually Melvin Gordon. It is not Todd Gurley. It is not Leonard Fournette. It is Melvin Gordon because Melvin Gordon has a long history of lower body injuries. We're talking about an ankle sprain, knee cartilage tear, hip strain, knee strain, 
foot sprain, knee strain, hamstring strain, MCL sprain. When you stack those up the last three seasons, that's how you become susceptible to injury in the following season. Now you take away training camp, you take away preseason, you take away the first half of the season itself. Suddenly, Austin Eckler is a prince that turns into a pumpkin and turns right back into a prince, baby. (laughs) I like it. Now, your PPR prince in previous years has been Chris Thompson. Is he the ultimate forgotten satellite back in PPR leagues? Are you over it? You over it? Well, things have obviously changed. Geis is back, sort of. Uh, Adrian Peterson is there and catching passes for some reason, which is fine. Good for Adrian Peterson. Right. Good for him. I like that. Yeah, good for him. Remember how often he would tell everybody that he was a good receiver? Like every year, it was like, I can catch passes. I can catch passes. I've been working on my pass catching game. Well, last year he did. He did catch passes. But um, Thompson, people forget about Chris Thompson last year. I was all over him. He got injured. Started the season with 24.8 and 22.3 in PPR. He had 19 catches in those two games for 155 yards on 21 targets. So he is the forgotten man in PPR leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else you're gobbling up late in PPR at running back? Chase Edmonds, perhaps? Chase Edmonds. Uh, there's the, the late buzz now out of Jets camp on Ty Montgomery. Ooh, yes. Which I know you are interested in him. Gio Bernard is less of a satellite back type guy, but more of an attrition guy. Like, Joe Mixon goes, what, eighth overall or whatever, running back. Everybody forgets about Gio Bernard. Not, not, not that he's going to eat into Mixon's workload, but if Mixon goes down, Bernard has posted RB1 numbers before for stretches. So that's one. Uh, and then I don't know about PPR so much, but like Wayne Gallman, he's backing up Barkley. Cameron Artis Payne, he's catching passes in the preseason behind Ed, Ed McCaffrey. Not Ed. Christian. Benny Snell, Malcolm Brown. These are guys that are going or not even going in drafts, some of them. Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown is a name to know. We've talked about him a bunch. It's possible if Todd Gurley goes down that Malcolm Brown becomes the primary back and that they keep Darrell Henderson in that satellite back plus role. Yeah, 60-40 probably in that situation. It's 55-45. So, yeah, he's real cheap, and he's like he's the alternative to – trying to grab Henderson in the 6th, 7th round, you can get Malcolm Brown at the end of the draft. What about Tony Pollard? Does he jump the shark? (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, honestly, honestly, Tony Pollard, Darwin Thompson, at least Tony Pollard's good. I think Tony Pollard's a good player. I don't think Darwin Thompson's much at all. At least Tony Pollard's good. And the incumbent back on that team isn't playing. He's in Mexico. Right. So at least you can make a case for Tony Pollard being relevant this year, unlike Darwin Thompson. But the Tony Pollard enthusiasm has just reached a crescendo at this point. And when I see a a backup rookie getting that kind of buzz, I back away. Okay. Well, when, when are you backing away? When would you pull the trigger on Tony Pollard? He's starting to go in the 10th, 11th round. Every day that goes by, his ADP rises. So it's going to be the ninth round tomorrow. He's going around the Kareem Hunt, LaShawn McCoy, Darwin Thompson, Peyton Barber tier. I'd rather have Tony Pollard. Okay, he hasn't jumped the shark yet. He's just fine. Keep on swimming, Tony. He has not jumped the shark. What if Elliott holds out, like, into the season? Where is Pollard at that point? Pollard's incredible. 
I want Tony Pollard. Yeah. It's impossible for him to jump the shark. The upside is incredible. It's RB1 upside. <laughs> He's getting all the snaps with Dak Prescott in preseason. Mike Weber, none. <laughs> Darius Jackson, none. Tony Pollard, all. And Tony Pollard is 210 pounds. His feature back size meets that bare minimum threshold. And he wins in all phases. He's been an adequate runner at the very least in preseason, and he's excellent in the passing game. So, are you trying to trick me with that question? Because I thought you were you wanted me to say yes. He jumped the shark. The question was more getting at at what point will he jump the shark? But I don't think we're anywhere close to that point. Just looking at those running backs then at that point in the draft. I mean, you got Breda on the ninth. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Duke Johnson the ninth. It's so amazing. I think he belongs in that group. This is a sneaky zero RB season. I hate saying it because it's out of fashion, but zero RB, make a comeback this year. At least go RB in the first round and pound wide receiver, RB wide receiver times four, something like that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about doing. RB and then, well, Kittle and then a bunch of wide receivers. RB, Kittle, three receivers, Miles Sanders, Christian Kirk, quarterback, Matt Breida, Tony Pollard, drafts over. Don't even make your last few picks. You just walk away and you push a trigger and the draft explodes. Have you heard the name Dare Agun Bawale? I have, and I have a short story about this because I saw that he has stolen Bruce Anderson's mojo. That's right, and he's from Wisconsin. I copied and pasted his name, put it into the player profiler about a week ago, two weeks ago, nothing came up. But then I did it a couple days ago, and now he's there. What do you know about that? That's how we roll, buddy. We get guys in the system as soon as they're even remotely relevant. Yeah, he's uh, becoming relevant. I think we're going to end up with a free agent cut guy in Tampa. Yeah, it's going to be a Kenneth Dixon. You get a Giovanni Bernard. You get a Kenneth Dixon. You might get a rookie like Alex Barnes. If Jeremy McNichols continues to impress in Tennessee, maybe Alex Barnes goes to Tampa. He was an exciting prospect, one of the better running back prospects in the draft. Pretty weak class, but good nonetheless. Yeah, Dari is uh, apparently running circles around everybody else there at the rb3 spot there so and ronald jones hyperextended his knee yeah i saw a picture of that dari agun Bawale had a 12 percent college target share you go back and you look at that year where he shared the field with Corey clement he couldn't command more carries that was a bit of a red flag that he allowed Corey clement to get 300 carries in front of him you hate to see that <laughs> if you're an agun Bawale enthusiast like myself but i like to focus on the receiving numbers instead <laughs> right i'm like he has above average burst and agility and he was great in the receiving game he's like a bigger faster stronger travaris cadet in that offense that's what you want you want the guy that's a good pass catcher on a team that's gonna pass the ball on a constant loop yeah and you can get him what 16th round or something like that in a league like the ffpc that goes deep He's perfect for the later rounds in a deeper league, best ball league, where you go out to 20 rounds. Yeah, he's the guy in those final rounds. Yeah, he's going uh, in the 20th round last couple days in the FFPC Classic draft. So, RB97. He should be RB79. Damn it. Bruce Anderson, though. Pour one out for him, man. That buzz didn't last very long. Guys like Bruce Anderson tend to resurface. Bruce Anderson is going to be fine. A lot of these fringe running backs, 
they get cut and they bounce around like Jeremy McNichols and they find themselves on a roster that needs a running back. And then sure enough, they become relevant because that's the running back position outside the top guys. They are interchangeable. And I'm not sorry about that. I just think I think it's great that you use Jeremy McNichols as a success story there. That's right. Yeah. Agoon Bawale <laughs> and Jeremy McNichols. These are the big success stories that we talk about on this show. <laughs> and their great ability is to avoid landing on teams like the Dolphins. <laughs> right? Are you staying away from the Dolphins? Is that your one stay away team? Or do you have another one? No. I'm a Kenyon Drake truther. This was a setup. I wanted to see how vigorously you would Oh, you set me up. strike back at me in anger. The injury does worry me. The, you know, walking boot is are two words that I don't want to see in in a blurb with a player that I like. Right? Walking boot. Ooh. Yeah, it's scary. Derrick Henry's in a walking boot. Yeah, we don't talk about that walking boot. No, I don't talk about that one. We like Derrick Henry, but we don't like Kenyon Drake. We have different feelings about different Alabama running backs. Hate Trent Richardson with a passion. Don't like Mark Ingram, love Derrick Henry, and could just as soon do without Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake, I think, is is a lot better than Kalen Balazs. I don't think it's terribly close. Well, Kalen Balazs can't play. He can't play football? Yeah, he can't play. He can catch a little bit. Imagine if Kristen Michael could run routes. That's Kalen Balazs. Man, that's a tough one to imagine. Kristen Michael. Pour another one out for him. Kristen Michael, as a fairly slick receiver would be Kalen Balaj. Both of them utterly incompetent between the tackles. Just don't know where to go, don't know where to be, zero feel for the position. Was was uh, Kristen Michael another running back success story? Like Jerry Mc, Mc, McNich, uh, McNichols? And... I feel very proud of my position on Kristen Michael from the beginning. My position on Kristen Michael was if he couldn't outproduce the other running backs at Texas A&M, and seize that number one job, if he needed all four years to grind out 600 rushing yards a season, then he's just not good at his profession. Like, he's not a good football player. He chose poorly when he decided to become a football player. That's not my fault. And just because he's athletic, he can jump high and move laterally very quickly, doesn't change that. I'm not going to chase the workout metrics. You think because I run player profiler, I have to love Chris and Michael. Well, you're dead wrong about that. Just like you're dead wrong if you think I love Kalen Balash. And I've never been prouder of myself. <laughs> that is such a low bar. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> such a low bar. <laughs> I love you, man. Kenyon Drake. He's in the same situation he was last year, even if he's playing behind Kalen Balash. He was a number 14 PPR running back last year. So why are we hand-wringing about the death chart? Did you say the death chart? De- the death chart. I think you said the death chart because it's the Dolphins. There was a P in there, I think. Death chart. Yeah. No, the Dolphins, it's a death chart. Other teams, it's a depth chart. But they are the Dolphins. That's the problem. They can't move the ball. They can't run block. It's a bad place to play offense. That's the problem. It was the same thing last year, and he was a RB2, high end. If you knew which games to start him. Yeah, that's fair. You're gonna have to, you're gonna get some bad ones, but I'll take the discount right now. He's going sixth, seventh round now with the with the walking boot stuff going on. So I asked you about the strategy earlier, and you gave a very politically correct answer for draft strategy. But really, it, it feels like zero RB with George Kittle mixed in is your favorite flavor. 
I'm not an advocate for anyone. And I, I feel bad about that because people want to know like, okay. I think that you're in hiding. I don't know. I think you need to be honest and just come out and say, listen, everybody, I love zero RB and I'm not sorry. I've seen some really bad zero RB rosters, drafts. It just makes me anxious, you know, like going into the season with some of these running backs and some of them don't even have upside. You're just like hoping for three catches. You just have to make sure you draft the right running backs. And it sounds like if you listen to this show, you know exactly which running backs to target. But I would prefer to draft my running back in the first round. That would be nice to get a running back and then hammer wide receiver. It's great to have the second overall pick. Yeah. And just take Christian McCaffrey and not worry about it. That's my dream. Yeah, or Kamara or assigned. Assigned Ezekiel Elliott. Assigned Ezekiel Elliott would be fantastic. Yes. But then we get to the end of the first round, and you're deciding between Chubb and James Conner. At that point, you could argue it's better to double tap on wide receiver. Just go Juju Smith-Schuster and Odell Beckham. Go Michael Thomas and Julio Jones. Mm -hmm. How do you decide between those four guys? It's like an impossible task. It is difficult amongst those four. And it's, there's no point. Like, you have to pick one if you, have the, if you have the four of them in front of you. I think Michael Thomas has the highest floor, that Odell Beckham has the highest ceiling, mm-hmm. and that Julio Jones has a great mix of both, as does Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, they both. I think Juju has a high floor, too. I mean, how many, he might lead the league in targets. Well, if you think about it, he was top five in targets last season, sharing a field with Antonio Brown yep. at age 22. Now he's 23 years old. He's a veteran, and he has this passing game to himself. It's just him and Vance McDonald. And now we hear that Vance McDonald won't be getting a full complement of snaps. And all the Vance McDonald enthusiasts are running around. like It's like they're all just running around in the middle of the lawn and running into each other and exploding. And it's like, settle down. Most tight ends don't log a 100% snap share. It's very rare. Zach Ertz never does it. Then don't worry about it with Vance McDonald. Not everyone is Travis Kelsey, and that's okay. What the fuck are we talking about? Yes, everyone needs to settle down on this, on the Vance McDonald story. The quote exactly was this. He's never going to play the full game. That's never going to happen. No one's expecting Vance McDonald. He's too valuable. Yeah, we're, no one's expecting him to play the entire 100% of the snaps. We don't need that. So I reached out to Dale Lally, who's actually works at four for four, does some player profiles for us. And I have, you know, I email him once in a while about this Pittsburgh Steelers team and he covers it. So he knows I asked him, he goes, well, they're not going to, he's not going to play 80, 90% of the snaps, but he is going to get more targets when he's out there because of the, the vacated targets by Antonio Brown. So I'm looking at it, 133 fantasy points last year, 73 targets, 1.82 fantasy point per target. Dale suggested 90 to 100 targets. Even if we go to the low end of that, you know, he had 73 last year. He only played 15 games. Let's say he miraculously plays 16 games. He's only needs 17 more targets. 90 times 1.82, and you're looking at 164 fantasy points. That's tight end six. That's where that's basically where he's going. Tight end six, tight end seven, right? No, he's going eight. So don't worry about it. There's nothing to see here. I've never seen less to see. <laughs> that make sense i've never seen less to see than news that a particular tight end will not be playing a 100 snap share <laughs> like, 
Oh, really? Time to panic. You do remember that one time in the playoffs against Jacksonville where Vance McDonald had 16 targets for 112 yards? Vaguely, yeah. 16 targets. That's not bad. Sharing a field with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. So both Vance McDonald and Juju Smith-Schuster will benefit from all those vacated targets. Continue to draft both with confidence. There's also vacated targets in Seattle. DK Metcalf's having surgery. He's not going to be ready for week one. I don't care what Pete Carroll says. He's a known liar. David Moore is having a quiet camp. We don't know what his role is going to be. Gary Jennings has been a ghost throughout training camp and preseason. I'm not even sure if he exists anymore. But so by process of elimination, does this not mean Tyler Lockett is a wide receiver one? Is he that early mid-round pick that we should have talked about earlier and we forgot to talk about? Well, he was wide receiver 11 last year in standard. So this is like zero stretch to get him into top 10. He's already wide receiver one in standard. I know he's hyper efficient with the 70 targets, but he plays with one of the most, if not the most, fantasy efficient on a fantasy point per pass attempt basis, Russell Wilson. Yeah, if you look at the last five years, he's been the most efficient quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So I don't worry about the targets so much because he's just so efficient, the passing game so efficient, and he's such a big play receiver. The defense is not going to be good or as good as it had been years past. So they might have to throw a little bit more than they want to. You know, they've been very run heavy, but that may not be able to to hold up this year. I really like Lockett there at that four or five turn. Love. There's just he's just another one of those fourth round uh, wide receivers. If he gets to the fifth, that's just amazing. Love, 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 love. That was a weak draft class the year after the 2014 class. And he is one of the few shining stars from that draft class that we have left. And some of the most underrated wide receiver talents come out of the second round. The year prior was Allen Robinson, drafted in a similar draft slot by Jacksonville. Are you targeting Allen Robinson? There was a week or two where I was really getting excited about him. But then Mitch Trubisky just happens, and he terrifies me. He's not a good thrower of the football. Uh, I'm not shying away from Allen Robinson. Yeah. So like sixth round, I'm okay. Uh, You know, obviously he goes in the seventh grade. I'm not targeting Robinson in the fifth. I've seen him go there sometimes. Uh, I'm a believer in Robinson. I like the, I like the coming off of, you know, his production coming off the ACL was not bad. Um, Second season in uh, Nagy's offense, I think is a plus for him as well. I just worry about, I just worry about Trubisky. Like he was so spotty last year. I don't like drafting players that play in the NFC North, generally speaking. It feels like a division where you're going to experience a lot of trench warfare. And by contrast, you could draft skill position players in the NFC South, and it's just shootout after shootout after shootout. The NFC North teams, they want to drag these games into the mud, and that hurts fantasy production. It hurts fantasy production of Kenny Galladay. It hurts Allen Robinson. It hurts Stephon Diggs. It hurts Adam Thielen. It's not just the poor offensive lines. It's not just the stout defenses in that division. It's also the offensive coordinators. John DeFilippo is out in Minnesota, and that matters. But he also landed in Jacksonville. So with a defensive-oriented head coach bringing in Kevin Stefanski, a run-oriented offensive coordinator... Are you worried about Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen reaching their volume expectations? And on the flip side, 
are you a little bit more excited about those Jacksonville skill position players with DeFilippo there who helped to propel Kirk Cousins over 600 pass attempts last season? I have like zero shares of the Minnesota receivers given their ADP like late third round. Um, if they get into the fourth. Can't do it. I can't do it. Can't do it. Um, they were Stefanski's was basically, you know, even run pass split. Thielen's numbers took a total dump. Diggs numbers kind of took a dump, but he scored a couple touchdowns, I think, in that span. So it kind of saved his fantasy lines, uh, but very low yardage. So th- they're going to have to deviate from what was going on the last three games. And if that's the norm, then I don't like Cousins. I don't like Thielen. I don't like Diggs. I mean, they're very, those two receivers are extremely talented, um, but the, the offense just isn't designed for production in the passing game. If it's not one of these high profile, prolific offenses, I generally find myself picking one or the other, the run game or the pass game to invest in. Minnesota is not Green Bay, right? In Green Bay, you love the running backs, you love the receivers. It's the Aaron Rodgers offense. We know what that is. Minnesota is not that. So with Minnesota, I'm picking the run game to get behind because I think that's what that team wants to be. And I think Dalvin Cook is a value in the second round because he looks the part of a proper all-purpose stat sheet stuffer running back. And we can easily see Dalvin Cook as a number one pick next year, right? Yeah, and they're going to feed him. So if he can stay healthy, that's the key. Uh, RB1 next year, probably. What about Jacksonville? Are you happy that Jacksonville finally hired a pass-first coach? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was on Twitter, and I, you could see me in real time talk myself into Nick Foles as a possible QB2, strong QB2. I did that. I was hoping you would mention that. <laughs> I uh, did some back-of-the-napkin math. There you go. Dave Filippo called passes on 66%, basically 65.9% of his plays last year got fired for it. Jacksonville hiring him knowing this, right? They know that he's pass happy. They know it. They're like, listen, we got the defense taken care of. Help us, John. Help us, please. Please, our offense takes help. They bring him in. Maybe Foles runs it 20 times, 25 times. You're you're over 600 pass attempts right now. Um, he's got a career 7.1 yards per attempt, so you're talking 4,200 passing yards. He's got a career 4.3 percent touchdown rate you're talking over 25 touchdowns now this is a little bit of a stretch because of the receiving core there but maybe dj shark shows up case lee gets healthy um, i like dd westbrook i mean that's a to me no-brainer um you know Foles is a sneaky bet for 60 600 pass attempts 25 touchdowns he's he's gonna be streamable i think and the defense disappoints all the more fuel to that fire buddy mm-hmm. is mike evans a compiler I don't know what a compiler is. I have been critical of Mike Evans because I believe he's been an inefficient and volume-fueled and not elite. Like, that's been my position, that he's not an elite receiver, has the league's worst catch rate for qualified receivers in the last five years, and also the lowest yards after the catch per target the last five years. So he's a guy that catches it and falls down in the off chance he actually catches it. But... Lots of targets, so he scores fantasy points. That's been my position on Mike Evans for many years, and smart fantasy analysts like Davis Maddock and Evan Silva have been highly critical of that position. They say I'm take-locked, and I should be embarrassed. Take-locked. I like that. Take-locked. I would only point out that he did set a 
career high for his catch percentage last year, 62.3%. Now, that may be a blip. He's a career 55.1, which is not good. Not good. Deshaun Jackson gone. Adam Humphrey's gone. Bruce Arians in. There's going to be lots of targets. So Same old story. Yep, 170 targets like he did in uh, 2016. Had 12 touchdowns. The targets are going to run me over again. Yep. Yep. Okay. So he's a compiler. I would say he's a compiler, yeah. That's that's a fair assessment. Wow. Thank you, John. You had my back. You also had some realism in there. I appreciate that. Scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you to see Josh Gordon play some football? That was pretty big news. Wasn't it? That kind of shook. Like, There's, there's not a lot of like breaking news that shakes the foundation of the fantasy football community like that did. Like Everybody's scrambling to get their takes out there. Oh, yeah. Well, I was. We're all doing it. Luckily, I had Evan Silva on the show. What had happened? I had him on just before, and then I had him just dial back in. He was on the Establish the Run show in real time when the news broke, and then I had him dial back in so we could re-record for my show. But having a hotline to the biggest Josh Gordon enthusiast the last six months was helpful. That was big news. My theory is that Roger Goodell knew he needed to do the Patriots a solid after Deflategate, so he fast-tracked Josh Gordon's reinstatement. Are you suggesting that Brady did not deserve to be suspended for Deflategate? Is that what your suggestion (laughs) is? Yes, I'm suggesting that. All right. The Deflategate was a total and utter debacle by the NFL, yes. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to clear that up. Wait, you think Deflategate was real? You think they cheated deflating footballs? I think he was deflating footballs. I don't know that he needed to be suspended for it, but... Yeah, of course he did. There was a deflator on, on staff. <laughs> so you think that him destroying his cell phone was a bad sign? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look good. <laughs> oh, I destroy my, my phone every four months or whatever. <laughs> Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Deflategate happened. The punishment was disproportionate. I think that would be the Patriots' objection. He's not innocent. Let's just, we'll put it, I'm going to put it that way and leave it at that. He is cool, though. Yeah. Do you see his latest tweet where he let fantasy footballers know that he was a PPR threat? Somebody wrote that for him. There's no way that he sat down and tweeted that out himself. Come on. You think that was his PR person? He's had to upload a photo of himself catching a pass and like use the correct terminology. There's no way he's got he's got somebody tweeting. You're pretty cynical. Yeah. Well, Brady, Tom, terrific. I I don't have a lot of faith. You're cynical of Tom Brady. He's a California kid, man. How do you not love him? Oh man. He's just a fun-loving California kid that happens to win a lot. Yeah, maybe if he had actually tweeted something like that before, like shown any propensity for creative tweets. I would buy it, but I think he's I think he's just hired a good PR firm to run his Twitter, honestly. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Clearly, you're being honest. Wow. Okay. Pretty dismissive, but all right. Do you want to talk about Josh Gordon? <laughs> yes, I do. What do you expect from Josh Gordon? Well, I think Brady's up to low-end QB1, high-end QB2. I mean, he was kind of mired down in that. He has to be. Yeah, that's the math, right? If you're going to put Edelman and Gordon up there, then Brady has to come along with them. Because we, he was, it was looking a little dire there for receiving threats. But now if you have Gordon there, I think you're moving him up. And 
you look at mm-hmm. Gordon himself, you know, I could give you the pace for the season with the Patriots, but I mean, I'm pretty much interested in those last nine games where he kind of got his feet set or settled and 6.9 targets per game from Tom Brady. He played at a 64 catch, 1134 yard, 3.5 touchdown pace. So those are low end wide receiver two numbers. And that those 3.5 touchdowns, he should have, he should have cut more. Uh, Kevin Zaluko has a expected touchdown number. And he should have probably twice as many touchdowns. So he's got some upside from there. That, and this is the nuance that you get with me. Let's not all just get go crazy and get, you know, draft Josh Gordon in the fifth round. He's also not finished a season since 2013. So there's risk, big risk that something else is going to happen. And he's not playing for you in the fantasy playoffs, but his ADP right now, seventh round. I'm I'm definitely thinking about it there. What about you? Do you know what happened to him last year? Do you know why he didn't finish the season? Why don't you tell me? We really didn't hear from Josh Gordon after the Patriots played the Dolphins in Miami. I think that Josh Gordon should be held out of certain road games. <laughs> Too tempting. Too tempting. You don't bring Josh Gordon to Miami for his own sake. Say, that's okay, Josh. We got this. We don't need you to beat the Dolphins. Thanks. Just certain games, you say, hey, hey, man, you can just chill. Don't worry about it. He plays 13, 14 games, and you have him when you need him in the playoffs. Week two, Matt, at Miami. They should actually activate him for week three. They should give him the first two weeks off, let him continue to acclimate. Once they get past that Miami game on the schedule, then they can activate him, and it's game on. Now, second-year receivers... Traquan Smith, Michael Gallup, a lot of exciting talents from last year's draft class are now have a year, have now been acclimated to the league and are ready to break out. Sadly, Kiki QT suffered a high ankle sprain, and I'm not so sure he's going to be ready to start the season. But is there a particular second year receiver that you've been targeting in fantasy drafts heavily? I wouldn't say heavily, although very late in drafts, DJ Shark is... Definitely on my radar. Uh, he's apparently looked great in camp. Yeah, really. He's had a really good camp. I believe he was the. I want to say that the ESPN guy called him the MVP of camp. Wow, good for DJ Chark. There's been consistent buzz about Shark, and he's supposed to start. Uh, you know, I, we talked earlier the Jacksonville passing offense. He's supposed to start. Yeah, that's what I said. DD Shark. Wow, I had no idea. I'm still riding this Keelan Cole train. This is. A problem. I have Keelan Coles everywhere. I maybe need to drop him. You might want to Google Shark. And then the question, I like James Washington, but it looks like he's behind Juju in the formations. You're saying DJ Chark <laughs> has a better chance to seize a significant role on offense this season than James Washington. Well, James Washington's going, I don't know, six rounds earlier. That's what I'm saying. This is, this is the definition of value. Yeah, I like James Washington, but the way that the snaps are being handed out right now, and it does matter in this res- respect, is that Washington's behind Juju. And Dante Moncrief and Deontay, is it Deontay Thompson? Yeah, Deontay Thompson. Yeah, I remember his name. So those two are battling, not really battling, I guess Moncrief's ahead, but looks like it's going to be Moncrief. And- Ryan Switzer's there. Oh, he's a he's the slot guy. Oh, so it doesn't look like Washington's going to be the third receiver on the field because they got Switzer and they've got Eli Rogers in the slot, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I'm not running the Steelers. No. Imagine if they had a guy like Justin Watson to play slot. 
Ooh, right. There's another second-year receiver with upside. It's funny you mentioned him because I had him written next, and I have it in all caps. Ready? Can Justin Watson beat out Brashad Perryman? What do you think? Yes. He hasn't yet. I know. Brashad Perryman got the snaps with the ones and Jameis Winston in the last preseason game, and it broke my heart, man. They're talking about Justin Watson as the starting slot receiver, and then he doesn't play with Jameis Winston. Killing me. He's got 4.49 speed. What about Perryman? Uh, Perryman's even faster, but Perryman has flamed out of the league. On the day the Arizona Cardinals release Kevin White, it is instructive to remind ourselves that Brashad Perriman's best comparable player on player profiler is, in fact, Kevin White. <laughs> that these are the same guy, and it's just not going to happen at this point. There's no such thing as the 26-year-old first-round wide receiver that breaks out in year five. It's never happened. 4.30 speed. I just wanted to mention that. That's why he's playing ahead of Justin Watson, probably. Justin Watson made so many plays in training camp. Mike Evans complimented him unsolicited. Just brought his name up in a press conference. Just said, this is a guy that's playing excellent football right now. And to me, that was a sign that he was coming to terms with the fact that Mike Evans would not be commanding the same target share this season that he has in previous seasons. Because he knows the young guys are coming for him. They're coming for his stuff. They're coming for his targets. It's Chris Godwin, and it's Justin Watson. It ain't Brashard Perriman. But then Justin Watson doesn't play with Jameis Winston in preseason, and I just don't want to talk about it. Is Aaron Rodgers overrated? <laughs> This is what I go to when I have no segue. I got nothing. I saw a um, I don't know, ranking, tiered ranking of quarterbacks based on coaches and scouts and stuff. And Rodgers was the number one guy. He's the number one in the number one tier. And if that's his rating, then maybe. Oh, NFL insiders think he's great. That's what you're saying? That's a shock, yeah. He has not played as efficient the last couple of years, but that's been so dysfunctional. I mean, Let's get a new coach in there. Let's see what happens in a new offense with somebody he doesn't hate. So you believe he's good? I believe he's, I believe Aaron Rodgers is very good. Is that what you asked? Not overrated at all. Well, he's maybe slightly overrated. Depends on who's rating him. Ooh. Ooh. Well, what you're saying is that NFL coaches and players and insiders may be overrating him. Is he the number one quarterback right now? I haven't, I haven't seen that in the last couple of years. What I know is he disappoints fantasy gamers most years. That I know. But that's partly because fantasy gamers for many years overdrafted quarterback. Now, late round quarterback has become a widely adopted tactic. Are you impressed with how smart fantasy gamers have become the last few years? The community as a whole? Because I feel like the evolution, the evolution is on overdrive. The average fantasy gamer is processing lessons, implementing new tactics very quickly, and ADP value vanishes in a week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a product of the internet and social media, and a lot of these bigger name fantasy analysts at these big sites um, see some of the same things or have somebody tell them or they, however they figure it out, um, and then all of a sudden we have late-round quarterback. Everybody has it. No, I think you're still going to go into some of these ESPN leagues or Yahoo leagues or wherever, and your quarterbacks are still going too early. Whereas if you get a, a group of industry people, everybody's playing chicken, and Patrick Mahomes is still there in the fifth or sixth round. 
You got to take Patrick Mahomes there, right? I do in the in the fifth round. Yeah, and I take Deshaun Watson in the sixth round. So, and I'm not shy about it. Can't Deshaun Watson outscore Patrick Mahomes this year? Isn't that conceivable? It's possible, certainly. Doesn't sound like you're fully on board with Deshaun Watson. Oh, I like Deshaun Watson. He's my number two fantasy quarterback. Okay, few, few, few. No, no, he's he's really good. Okay, good. You just love Patrick Mahomes that much. I don't think Mahomes is going to regress to the point where he's not the QB1, but it's possible. It's only possible because Deshaun Watson is both a prolific runner and passer with arguably even better receivers than Patrick Mahomes has without the tight end. You don't like Jordan Thomas? The rushing upside of Deshaun Watson makes that possible. He's the only quarterback in the league that can be one of the top passers and top rushers. He's the only one in the center of that Venn diagram. That's why I love him so much. What are the chances that one of the two is the QB1 this year? Very high. Very, very, very high. 90%? 95%? Well, the problem is we also have Cam Newton. And Cam Newton can find his way to the center of that Venn diagram as well if he has the best receiving core he's had in his career. And that's what it looks like. Yes. Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, if we love them both, and Greg Olson is healthy, and we've seen plenty of middle-aged tight ends be productive, and then Christian McCaffrey, the best satellite back in the league, all these weapons operating in the heart of the NFC South. How do you not love Cam Newton? The only concern is the shoulder, isn't it? Right, a healthy shoulder, and Cam Newton jumps up into that conversation and pulls down that percentage Okay, that it's either Mahomes or Watson. I don't think that Rodgers and Mayfield have that ceiling that Newton has. I think that if you're going to pick a guy to come out of the pack and go get Watson and Mahomes, it's got to be Newton. The only other player would be Russell Wilson in that scenario that you talked about where the Seattle defense collapses and they have to turn up the knobs on the volume for Russell Wilson. That's exciting. We've never seen that. That's just theoretical. What if Lamar Jackson can throw? That's also theoretical, but exciting, right? Yeah, if he can throw, he's going to be a league winner because he's QB, what, 16? Still? 15, 16? We've been at it, pounding the table, literally pounding. I'm pounding on this table. It's not a cliche. I'm, I'm pounding. Remember when Kyle Shanahan pounded the table for Joe Williams? Remember that? I'm doing it just like Kyle Shanahan pounded the table for Joe Williams. We've been doing that for Lamar Jackson. And still nothing? He's not moving? Oh, he moved out. He's a he's a QB 11 in, in FFPC. Thank you. Thank God. See, this is what I'm talking about. You can't talk about these players for more than a week and their ADP automatically adjusts. The collective consciousness of fantasy gamers is a marvel to behold. Super smart. I'm checking draft ADP too. I was interested in that. I think he's inside the QB 1 ranks. He's got to be. The math says he has to be. Have you heard of the tight end tactic called the bridge to Herndon? Is that like uh, the bridge to Terabithia? It's a play on that phrasing for sure. But what it means is you want Chris Herndon when he comes back and you just need a few weeks at the beginning of the season to get to Chris Herndon because Chris Herndon could be a league winning tight end. One thing you got to note on that, I think they have their bye early. So it's not until week six. That's right. You need five good weeks. Right. Would Tyler Eifert be a good candidate to be a bridge to Herndon? Yeah. Any injury-prone producer. Jordan Reed? Yeah, Jordan Reed would be more expensive. He might, he, he might end up 
playing for you the whole time. But you figure Eifert's probably going to get hurt. Is Jordan Reed just a discount version of Evan Ingram? Because when Evan Ingram came into the league, he was thought to be the next Jordan Reed. Now he's going six rounds ahead of Reed. And they're in the same position on similar anemic offenses. So I don't understand the ADP difference between Ingram and Reed. Can you illuminate this for me? Well, Ingram is Jordan Reed without the injury concern. And he's a lot more explosive. Yeah, at this point. But Reed is a nice value. But you you just have to be nimble if you're going to draft Jordan Reed. You have to be prepared. Jordan Reed has a season on his resume where he was the number one tight end in fantasy. He has a ceiling that's higher than any ceiling we've ever seen demonstrated by Evan Ingram. Yeah, that was, but that was four or five years ago. I'm aware, but this is the first time Jordan Reed has been healthy in preseason. It is. He's been rehabilitating an injury every offseason until now. It could be that he just finally figured out how to take care of his body. Isn't that a possibility, John? Anything's possible. What about Mark Andrews? Is he overrated given that he's a one-dimensional move tight end on a run-first offense? I think he posted tight end 13 numbers with Lamar Jackson. I know some of that was these crazy yards per catch numbers that he had. But if even if he's playing 35, 40% of the snaps and he's in on all the almost all the passing downs uh, and Lamar Jackson takes a step forward as a passer, then I would say no, he's not overrated. I would say that there's, he's properly rated. If we stack our takes from earlier in the show, you know, our position on Vance McDonald and his snaps, our position on Lamar Jackson, you put those together, you're buying Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is a converted wide receiver. He was Baker Mayfield's number one option at Oklahoma. It was not Marquise Brown. Think about it. You just blew my mind. Is Darren Waller going to be a thing? Is he going to blow minds? He's another uh, bridge to Herndon guy. He's a great bridge to Herndon. For sure. For sure. They love him. They they love him in Oakland. Well, he might. But they they didn't uh, even offer Jared Cook a contract. No. Like, you're good. We're good. We're good. This is based on nothing, just so you know. On the front end, I'm telling you this is based on nothing. Okay. But when I see a converted wide receiver or college move tight end add 20 pounds so that they can withstand the punishment of being an every-down tight end or logging significant snaps at the tight end position, that worries me. And it's an indicator that this player's body is not perfectly suited to play big snaps at tight end in the NFL. And that would be my concern with Darren Waller and why I believe he's destined to get injured. In fact, he already is. His arm is literally in a sling right now. Did you see Hard Knocks, though? I haven't watched. Am I missing something good? I was, well, I was just waiting for them to do the uh, Darren Waller segment, and they were asking guys, who's been flying under the radar? Who's the best player on the team that's been flying under the radar? And like three or four guys all answered Darren Waller. It was unanimous. And then fantasy gamers ran to their computers. I was bracing for it because, you know, I love getting Waller in like the 15th, 16th round as my upside tight end, too. I'll actually take a second tight end even in redraft leagues, onesie, onesie leagues, because I like to have upside on my bench, even if it's a tight end position. Yeah, why not? But um, now I'm worried that the ADP is going to rise. It's a hard knocks bump. Around week five, week six, Darren is going to hit the Waller. Oh, I like what you did there. But fortunately, that's when Chris Herndon gets reinstated. It's the bridge to Herndon. Right when Darren hits the Waller. 
You've been super generous with your time. I will get you out of here, but I need one more answer. Give me the boldest possible prediction that John Paulson can muster. Go very bold here, John. You know I'm not a bold take guy. I know. That's why I wanted to ask you this question specifically. In fact, you crossed this question out on the show sheet, and I'm intentionally bringing it back. And I uncrossed it out, and I bolded it because I knew I wanted to ask you because I wanted to get whatever microwaved, lukewarm take that you could offer up. <laughs> and then we could try together to hot takeify it. All right, here we go. Ready? I'm so ready. Duke Johnson is posting RB1 numbers by the end of the year. Is that bold? That is hot. What are you kidding me? That's bold, baby. I love that. Now I'm mad I didn't ask you about Duke Johnson earlier. Why do you love Duke Johnson? Is it because he's going to be on a pass-first offense where they're going to run a lot of plays, a lot of garbage time, a lot of Duke Johnson targets, no tight end of consequence, feed the satellite back? Well, you just took the whole. You took almost the whole thing. As it turns out, I took nothing close to the whole thing because soon after this recording, Lamar Miller tore his ACL and his MCL. Duke Johnson will be the primary running back for the Houston Texans in 2019. It is on. He's a three down back that's never had a chance to be a three down back in the NFL. That's what I wanted you to say. That's what I was hoping you'd say. That's what I didn't dare to say. Because I love Duke Johnson. I think he could be a primary back, but sometimes I'm just I'm too scared to say it. It's been so many years where he hasn't been that guy. Duke Johnson is better than Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller is fine. He's, he's going to probably return value while he's the starter there because he's going in the 7th, 6th, 7th round. But Duke Johnson's better. Johnson's better and he's the leading rusher at University of Miami with all those guys that came through there did we not learn any lessons from the Carlos Hyde Nick Chubb dichotomy last year yes Carlos Hyde's going to get the early season opportunity but you go with the better player damn it and that's Duke Johnson so there's a couple ways that he could earn that job and that's one is injury obviously uh, with Miller and then the other two is Miller's back to his you know 3.94 yards per carry Johnson's lighting it up behind him and then, the, and then it shifts. I think you could see that happen as well. I really hope it does, John. You know, I'm doing the math in my head. The only way for you to roster all of these mid to late round running backs that you like <laughs> is for you to go zero RB. Uh, I don't know. I didn't ask you the truther question because I already know. You're a zero RB truther. I'm probably truther on Damian Williams. I feel like I'm, I'm swimming upstream on that guy. But everybody hates him. I mean, he's going in the second round in some drafts, third round at the very latest. Everybody's scoffing at me when I draft him in the third round. Like, oh, you did you did well except for that third round pick. Come on. What? Yes. I'm in a expert league right now. It's happening. Damian Williams went the number 24 pick to Davis Maddock. That's right. That's where he should go. The second round was Michael Thomas, James Conner, Dalvin Cook, Le'Veon Bell, Mike Evans, Travis Kelsey, Joe Mixon, T.Y. Hilton, George Kittle, Amari Cooper, Karrion Johnson, Damian Williams, full PPR, two flex. So you could technically start five wide receivers. 
I think without the hamstring injury, he's in the middle of the second round. That just prompted all this committee talk, and then... Yeah, it's Darwin Thompson nonsense. Come on. Come on. Come on, on, guys. Exactly. Exactly. Come on, guys. Exactly. I drafted T.Y. Hilton there. Was that too early? Did you flinch seeing him go that early? I love T.Y. Hilton. Let me just say that. I am worried about this luck injury. Andrew Luck is officially out forever, and John Paulson's spidey senses were tingling before the retirement announcement, as were mine. I knew the pick was Kittle, I drafted T.Y. Hilton anyway, and I deserved to lose that league. So, I would be more of a th- third round guy on him, especially with like his ADPs dropping a little bit. I would take the value. He's so good, though. He's so good. Yeah, it was between him and Kittle. I probably could have gone Kittle there. Damn it. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, I gotta do that. And the show's over, and I'm like, ah, oh, on to some other things, you know. Well, we get an update. Oh, oh, Crabtree, oh. I'm worried about this luck injury. This is the time of year when you just want it to be over. You just want the preseason to be over. Like, just need to get on with it. Kirk's only played with Kyler Murray in 13 of the 28 snaps in preseason. Kirk only was in for half of the plays with Kyler Murray. So... What does that mean? Does that mean that Kirk's really valuable and they they have a thin receiving core and they don't want him to get injured? By process of elimination, it can't be anybody else. There's no way it's going to be Keyshawn Johnson in a starting role over Christian Kirk. It's just not possible. It's not. Maybe Isabella, but Isabella's still a rookie from UMass. I can't figure it out. I can't figure out why that's actionable. I'd still feel very comfortable with Kirk in the seventh round if I miss out on Curtis Samuel, etc. I love Levitan's snap counts, though. I do love I do love them. I just don't. I don't buy this one. New information comes in. It bumps you one way or the other. You need to be fluid, right? But it's a one little data bite of 28 snaps. Can't cancel out a dude's fucking entire career. An entire rookie year that was impressive, given the context of the offense. And all the positive buzz prior to this. And all the reports have been great. And then one beat reporter comes out and says, well, I think he's going to go under 1,000 yards. Okay. Most guys go over under 1,000 yards. It's not like anyone went over 1,000 yards in that offense last year. I don't trust the beat writer projections either. Yeah, running to the beat reporter to get their projection to support an argument ain't it, man. I don't pay attention to those ever. So why in this particular case? He's been usurped by Trent Sherfield? Get the hell out of here, dude. Who had a vendetta against Christian Kirk? What, what did he do to anybody? Yeah, he didn't, he's a nice guy. He didn't do anything to anyone. He's a great player. He had over 1,000 yards in his rookie season at Texas A&M, sharing a field with Josh Reynolds. I'd print it out, I'd put it in the file, and then if all of a sudden he's playing 50% of the snaps, we know why. If I'm the Cardinals, I know what I have in Kirk and Fitzgerald. I don't need extra snaps with them. They're getting plenty of reps with Kyler Murray in practice. I want Kyler Murray to get a few extra snaps with the offensive line with his center in a game situation. I care more about that than I do getting Christian Kirk in there for extra preseason snaps. The rookies, by their very nature, play more in preseason. And I'm scheduled to talk to Levitan in a week, so I can't wait to confront him. That should be good. It's not right. It's not right. It's fear-mongering propaganda in a disinformation campaign. <laughs> To silence the voices of Christian Kirk enthusiasts. And it ain't right, man. It's anti-American. What's happening? Have you heard of a guy named 
Deontez Alexander. He is potentially relevant on the Lions because, you know, they don't have a third receiver. What about Amendola? Yeah, Amendola doesn't count as a guy that matters at number three receiver. What I'm saying is... <laughs> most teams, you know who their fourth and fifth receivers are. I don't in Detroit. Aren't you worried about that a little bit with the Packers, that this is just going to be one of those malaise divisions where they're just going to get stuck in these 17-14 games with these teams? Low-paced teams? Uh, I don't know. I have a bad feeling that the first year, the new coach isn't going to go very swimmingly. It's a bad division for fantasy. I think it's scary. I think the volume is scary for Kirk Cousins. The Bears look like this year's Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, the whole thing, it just, the whole thing smells. Two defensive-minded head coaches. You get defensive-minded head coaches in an offensive league. Everyone's out there hiring Cliff Kingsbury, and then you have Mike Zimmer. <laughs> And Matt Patricia, it's a quagmire division. That's what it is. I'm worried about this luck injury. The football gods have really helped the Eagles here. They have a great schedule for their skill guys. You get to play Washington twice. You get to play the Giants twice. Right there, it's a huge advantage. It's almost like the advantage the Patriots have. Yeah. I mean, every game is so precious in the NFL, and you get free games, free wins, if you're in the AFC East or the NFC East. Who could beat him? Because the defenders aren't playing at full speed. Because there's no one on the field to hold those players accountable. Because the whole reason they're out there is to make the quarterback look good for the beat reporters and for the handful of onlookers and when they go back and watch the tape in the meeting rooms. That's Curtis Samuel's purpose. But when the games actually start and all the defenders are playing at full speed. You're going to want DJ Moore as your number one option. You're going to want to look to him first and then Curtis Samuel second. Yeah, I thought you said you were, I thought you said you were agreeable. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. He might be listening. Oh, come on. We're just going to cross that out because he only played 13 of 28 snaps with Kyler Murray in preseason. What the fuck are we talking about? Yeah, I thought you said you were, I thought you said you were agreeable. Because no one oozes credibility like the Podfather. I thought you said you're agreeable. Swagtastic quarterback. Who doesn't love splash plays? I fucking love splash plays. Uh, he had five straight interceptions in practice. I come off very confident on these shows, but sometimes I go into them feeling like a bottom. And then the struggle is throughout the show is how do I get on top? I thought you said you're agreeable. You think because I run player profiler, I have to love Chris and Michael. But you're dead wrong about that. Just like you're dead wrong if you think I love Kalen Balash. And I've never been prouder of myself. <laughs> that is such a low bar. 33.0 fantasy points per game. Willing to bet it was more the blackness than the masculinity that caused her discomfort. <sighs> you don't like Alvin Kamara? He had three snaps against Oakland week four. This is a generational talent in the shadow of a generational talent. Well... I want to be an Alvin Kamara pirate, searching for gold doubloons there, Shani. The, you know, walking boot is our two words that I don't want to see. He should be RB79. Damn it. Maybe slightly overrated. But then Justin Watson doesn't play with Jameis Winston in preseason, and I just don't want to talk about it. I just think, I think it's great that you used Jeremy McNichols as a success story there. Remember when Kyle Shanahan pounded the table for Joe Williams? Remember that? 
I'm doing it just like Kyle Shanahan pounded the table for Joe Williams. Man, that's a tough one to imagine. Kristen Michael. You just blew my mind. That hurdle isn't going to suddenly make you better than Damian Williams. How do you feel about this Darwin Thompson nonsense? <laughs> he trucked a guy on a on a catch right for a touchdown. Trucked a guy, 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 trucked a guy. Wow. 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 <laughs> that is such a low bar. It could be that he just finally figured out how to take care of his body. Isn't that a possibility, John? I don't want some newbie fantasy analyst that I could just bulldoze on every question. Think I want that? Think the audience wants that? No, they want someone to hold me accountable. And that's John Paulson. You know, I, I talk, I go on fantasy football podcasts to not think about the rainforest burning, so I'm pretty annoyed that you brought that up. It's a rhetorical trick, John. And you have him when you need him in the playoffs. I think he was deflating footballs. There's the deflator. So you think that him destroying his cell phone was a bad sign? Yeah. Wasn't Jeff George technically a good fantasy quarterback? <laughs> Jeff George. I think it's the death chart because it's the Dolphins. You might want to Google shark. My Tevin Coleman rant, yeah, but Tevin Coleman, launched this show. And they took Tevin Coleman's wings away in Atlanta. You just blew my mind. His arm is literally in a sling right now. I like coming on your show because I can get up in the middle of one of your answers, get a glass of water, and come back, and you're still talking. Around week five, week six, Darren is going to hit the waller. The bottom? Yeah, that's what I said. A shiver runs down my spine, John. It's going to be either a touchdown to Kittle or an interception. Oh, I destroy my, my phone every four months. Zero RB with George Kittle mixed in is your favorite flavor. Whatever microwaved, lukewarm take that you could offer up. Which is fine. Good for Adrian Peterson. At least Tony Pollard's good. He has not jumped the shark. I'd rather have Tony Pollard. Okay, he hasn't jumped the shark yet. He's just fine. Keep on swimming, Tony. It's impossible for him to jump the shark. No, no, he's he's really good. Oh. Quarterback, Matt Breida, Tony Pollard, drafts over. Don't even make your last few picks. Austin Eckler is a prince that turns into a pumpkin and turns right back into a prince, baby. I don't know what a compiler is. Let's just move on. I thought you said you are agreeable. Help us, John. Help us, please. Please, our offense takes help. He's got to be the fastest tire changer out there. He's going straight to NASCAR. No, no, he's he's really good. It fits like a glove, you putting me in my place. The bottom? I've never seen less to see. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, yes. He's a guy that catches it and falls down in the off chance he actually catches it. And that if I'm going to draft a receiver in the second round, I want him to be an elite talent. I'd rather draft T.Y. Hilton knowing he's both productive and efficient when called upon his entire career than Mike Evans. They say I'm take-locked and I should be embarrassed. So he's a compiler. I would say he's a compiler, yeah. So he's a compiler. I would say he's a compiler, yeah. So he's a compiler. I would say he's a compiler, yeah. Just wanted to clear that up. Can you do that sound with your with your mouth?
sometimes I go into them feeling like a bottom. I want to be an Alvin Kamara pirate. 